Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. We are now here. Uh, this is the day, obviously, of the college football championships. This is but two days away from New Year's Day and three days away from 2019. We began this journey together but a few months ago, uh, back in August. I mean, obviously not this particular uh, show. The show's been on for years. But this particular season, which has had a lot, it's been a lot this happened this particular season, uh, to include uh, Dwayne Haskins went from being someone that uh, some people theorized might not even hold on to the starting job. I don't have to say that people, people I respect in some cases tell me that they thought Tate Martell would take that job from him. Some is, thought he would not even have it coming out of uh, camp. Some thought he was losing his friend. But he held on to it off dog year. Tate Martell found himself being used as an auxiliary or backup or even part of a package. And when Haskins, if and when Haskins declares, which once again is not 100%, uh, I would like to remind people that this is a dream that he's had since he was an elementary school kid. I mean, it's interesting to note that the two top quarterbacks are both guys whose dream, literal dream, as children, was to start for the school where they're starting, and they each started for one year. I would be not at all shocked if these are guys that decided to at least, you know, give it one more, give it another run. Now, Haskins obviously saw spot duty due to injury and things like that before this, and, of course, Herbert had won the job previously and then got hurt, so ended up giving way not due to Compensated like that previously, but had had been forced, unfortunately, to to cut short his first year as a starter. So he's now made it through one entire full season as a starter, part of another season as a starter, and will like to come back and at least have two full seasons as a starter and then part of one, which once again makes perfect sense to me, not only from a football development standpoint, but once again, this is his dream since he was a small child as well. I think sometimes people forget that though it is a business at some point, it is still something that begins as the love that a fan has for the game. And one of the things that we must remind ourselves as analysts and fans and fanalists and everything in between, this is often something that begins as a thing of emotion for us and then eventually becomes something where we become less attached emotionally. For the young men who play the game, it's 100% emotion when they first start, and then slowly but surely, you know, uh, either sadly or, or some people would say uh, it's a good thing that they eventually come to see it as, uh, you know, as something that, you know, they need to 
uh, they need to see differently. Okay, so let's just move towards what's happening. You know, what's happening right now. So, in a few hours, uh, four teams will be whittled down. And the assumption that most people have, and, you know, the guys out in Vegas, uh, I don't know how to play it, uh, you know, the guys who whose millions of dollars is tied up in knowing these things have said that they believe that both of these games will be essentially double-digit, you know, sort of walkover kind of deal. Now, once again, these aren't people with rooting interests. These aren't people who, I mean, they are truly unemotional, right? The guys out in the desert are unemotional because their goal is to have an equal amount of money come in on both teams, and then with the spread, you know, with the vigorous, with the whatever you want to call it, you know, the little premium that they charge to the better on each side, that's the spread, or whatever you want to call it, with, with what's left. Uh, that's the profit. That, that enough by itself is the profit margin. If they have too much money coming on either side, then they can actually get hurt depending on who wins. Their goal is to have an equal amount of money on each side, and that way they're always fine. And that, that always fine, that little bit in between, multiplied by the number of people who bet is enough to build all those amazing buildings that you see in Las Vegas and pay all the people who work there. Breaking down the two teams involved, well, I think everyone knows about Alabama. <laughs> um, you know, I hope there's a mystery there when it comes to Alabama. I think for almost anyone who's even alive, let's see something. I think they're aware of a couple of things. One is that Alabama wins, at least almost all the time, the, the recruiting wars uh, that they care about, at least. I mean, they was the last time they didn't get someone they wanted. I mean, <laughs> uh, they get almost, I don't want to say they get every player they want, but they get most of the players they want, right? They get, and they have amazing facilities. They have perhaps the greatest coach, if not of all time, they say the greatest one in the last 40, 50 years. And when you add to that, that both kids who go there are great athletes who are willing to some Submit to, I mean, I don't say it's brutal or no more brutal than it, you know, what happens anyplace else, but the culture they create makes you want to push through injury maybe a little bit more than you might at some other school, which is why very often when you get to the combine, you see that they find, you know, the torn labor, uh, the Uh, you know, the 
sprain, the strain, the whatever um, that went, you know, maybe not completely treated or they fought through or what have you, because that's the culture. And like anything, you know, it, it gives and it takes away. What it gives is that that guy is used to when he comes out of the training room in the NFL and they say, oh, it's a grade two MCL uh, sprain. He says, okay, well, I can play with that, right? Because he's, you know, he's done it before, right? <laughs> uh, the disadvantage is these guys come out of that program sometimes a little more bumped up than they might in a program where guys don't play who make like that. But just looking at that team, their offensive line isn't quite what Alabama offensive lines have been in the past is not like the one three or four years ago. It's not like the one six or seven years ago. It's probably closer to some of the ones he had earlier in his time in Alabama. There's one truly obvious NFL player on that offensive line, that's Jonah Williams. The others are guys that it's either less clear yet that they'll have success playing at the next level, or if not that, then they're not, so not physically impressive, right? There's nobody that just looks like DJ Fluger or Greg Robinson or a long list of others that we've seen there. There's nobody other than Jonah Williams who looks obviously like he's going to play on Sunday, at a high level at least. In terms of their wide receiver group, it's as good as any they've had probably. I mean, they've obviously had people like Julio Jones. They don't have one of those. They don't have that. Julio Jones is rare and special. But they do have two very, very, very good young wide receivers. I believe I've been joined by two of my guests. I think one of them might be Nick, maybe. Well, I guess I'll figure out who's who. Who just joined me? Uh, this is uh, Damian Parsons. Oh, Damian and who else? J-Dub. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Perfect. A um, little bit of a quick breakdown, obviously. We're deep in the bowl season, and, of course, today is a day that is practically a national holiday for people that do what we do. Um, you know, I assume you probably told your families that you won't be available for anything <laughs> more than maybe mm-hmm. waving, keeping your head back and forth, or if the house is on fire, you'll save the television, things like that, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, start with you, Jay. Correct. Okay, good. Uh, oh, yeah. cause it's good to let people know. These oh, yeah, are. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm really excited about today. I'm I, I I'm beyond yeah. excited big, just because of the Alabama Oklahoma game. Like I've been waiting for this game for at least two weeks now, and I, I, yeah. I oh, dude, it's got me so excited. I basically told my family, don't don't even talk to me. Just let me have a living room TV, and it's gonna be. Tell a good one. Exactly. You you told them it probably hopefully a little more. You know, a little more tax than that. But you, don't, you need to leave me alone. You need to go someplace. Um, mm-hmm. I'll let you know when you come up, you know, when I return to your service. And I'm available once again to be a member of the family. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. Excellent. And uh, I believe, Mr. Parson, you would probably have a similar setup? Oh, of course. Of course. I'm, uh, you know, I told my wife, you know, early in the morning, you know, before, because I, you know, granted, like J. Dub was talking about, I'm extremely excited about the Alabama Oklahoma game. 
I am watching, uh, you know, a couple of other games, you know, Michigan, Florida, as well at 12, around 12 o'clock. So I told her we can go do some shopping, um, you know, somewhere in between there. But after that, my mind is completely focused on this college football game. Yes, right. So whatever we need to do, as long as it's done by this time, we're all right. Now, if you want to ask exactly. me something, any time after this time, you may have prepared like a handwritten sign maybe that says that I'm out of order or I don't have sufficient bandwidth to like a 404 message. Like some of you, you when the Internet gets slow, it says, oh, can't reach this site, unavailable, HTTP, you know. Um, it's, this, the site is down. Oh, no, sorry, no, the debut site is down. Uh, but, yes. Yeah, you do have to unfortunately unplug from the rest of the world for a certain amount of time. And you guys are lucky, obviously. You, you, you're born in this world where you've got the ability to, you know, I mean, Twitter by itself is amazing. I, I'm one of those people that sort of messed around Twitter like when it first came out and I was like, this is lame. Kind of walked away from it and then a couple years later I was just like, dude, are you on Twitter? It's like, what? I tried it. It was nothing. But, you know, I, I got there too early. Like when you get to a party too early, sometimes you get dead and then you realize, oh, I was just at the party too early. So I remember when I came back to Twitter, I was like, oh, all right now. Uh, so I'm old. So I remember when I first started doing draft stuff, it was one of the things that almost nobody was doing. And I was from a Navy town. So I had friends that would get moved out every year or two. So my friend that, you know, used to live down the street now lives in Rhode Island. My friend that used to live across the street now lives in Florida, now lives in Italy, now lives in California, whatever, you know, the Navy, wherever the Navy wants to send people. So the, the few of us, and it was a very small number that were obsessed with the NFL draft, would share tapes with each other, like literal tapes. Like I'm, when I say tape, I mean tape. These were actually just, you know, VHS cassettes. Uh, that we mailed to each other. So I started a UPS account when I was about 14 in order to ship tapes to my friends that would get moved away. So my friend was, was living in a part of the country they couldn't see Lawrence Taylor, but where I lived, Lawrence Taylor was on every other week practically. So I was like, okay, cool. I got Lawrence Taylor. What do you have? Well, you know, I got Bo Jackson. Cool. We'll swip, swap. So this is before – I started doing this when ESPN had just started up. So ESPN didn't have college football. So your college football was restricted to one – uh, local, you know, usually like, uh, you know, what we call VH, VHF, very high frequency, right? So not to get into TV, whatever, but essentially that you'd have one, like, local affiliate that would cover, you know, whatever the closest local college team would be. Then you get a couple of national games, you know, oh, I'm keep And you would get, that was it. You get, get three games, maybe four, and until bowl season. Both of was even bigger when I was running up because seven a day. Maybe three. You might see at four very occasionally, but usually you would get for me I grew up in ACC country. So I would get a UVA or a North Carolina game, whoever they were playing. I would get the national, which back in those days, just like now, Notre Dame, you know, whatever whenever Notre Dame played somebody good, that would be a national game. And some other, you know, national or regional game, and that was usually it. And then occasionally um, somebody might give you two games, and then you get, so you get a total of four, and that was it. There was a Thursday night, none of that fool stuff. So I grew up when it was hard, you know. <laughs> so, the, you know, we have the old guys talking about, oh, man, you guys have it easy. It kind of is true. You guys have it easy. There were no websites, you know, because there was no Internet really yet. And so we used to literally ship tapes 
up to each other. So a friend of mine who had been moved to Rhode Island had a bunch of Doug Flutie. And I had a friend, you know, down here who had a bunch of Jim Kelly game. And, and I, I thought, oh, cool, well, I'll, I'll trade you to Boomer Esiason, right? So because I got to see lots of Boomer Esiason. I was an ACC coach. I would ship them. I would put a couple of tapes in a bag. I started it. I had my little, uh, I used to deliver the Virginia Pilot Ledger Star. My little newspaper delivering money would go towards that. And later I worked for a, a neighbor who had like a chimney sweep and uh, wood stove installing and cleaning company. And my little, you know, I was making like 225 bucks a week, which felt like money at 14. And uh, I would use that money to, to ship tapes to people. And then later I started writing the NFL tapes. Now, I would tell them, hi, my name is Bill Carroll. I'm 14 years old. I'm very interested in scouting. And most of the teams would like, here, kid, you know, you get a form letter from, like, obviously, you know, their pile of form letters. Graduate the NFL, enjoy the season, you know, whatever. But it's like nothing. There were two teams that actually wrote me back, like wrote, like not a, like a, not a form letter. And one of them was the Steelers. And somebody actually in this guy wrote me back and said, you know, uh, if you ever come up to Latrobe, which I think is where they, where they used to have their um, uh, training camp at the time. They've moved it since then. But in the old days, it was in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Um, but, yeah, they'd say, hey, here, you know, will such and such, blah, blah. And then they said, you know, here's the person to write if you want to know about this. And they told me a little bit even about their method. Not a lot. But, you know, they knew I was a kid. They knew I was excited. And for those who know, you guys know about what, what Blesto is? You guys know about Blesto? No. 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 So you don't wonder how the combine happens, why the combine happens. You have to go something called Blesto, okay, which stands for Bears, Lions, Eagles, Steelers. Um, oh, T, T is for, um, oh, come on, Bill. Uh, uh, but it's uh, something organization. Oh, good Lord, Bill. Um, training might be it. Something like that. But essentially, the combine is because they used to combine their medicals. So instead of having to go to all these different places and get a local doctor to, to look at this kid, because that's what in the 40s and 50s and even into the early part of the 60s, you would literally have to go to a, you'd, you'd have a doctor, right? So you near all the fairly large football schools, you each team would have to form a relationship or take a doctor with them in order to get medical stuff. There was no scouting combine. That was, that's all fairly new. Well, new to, well, new to, I must get it old. So to you guys, it's all been around forever, but it's not that old mm-hmm. as you think. But in the 60s, the Bears, Lions, Eagles, Steelers, Bears, Lions, Eagles, Steelers, yeah, those are the Blesto teams, said, this is stupid. Um, why don't we bring the kids to the doctors instead of having to bring doctors to all these kids all over the country or build a relationship with a local doctor near Ohio State, near Alabama, near Cal, near, I mean, because it was, you have to understand, they'd have to develop relationships with hundreds of doctors all over the country or take their team doctor all over the country. Either way, it eventually hit somebody that, well, this is not the most efficient use of time in the world. Uh, let's do something different. So when they, when they, the, the scouting combine wasn't about 40 times or anything like that. The scouting combine, when it began, the whole point of Blesto was to, so Blesto eventually and what's called Quadra Scouting. So you had Blesto and Quadra Scouting were the, the first attempts, the first, uh, and then 
Quadro gives you what's called national counties. But these are the first attempts, the first tries to avoid the messy old system. And so there's now 12 Blesto teams. Atlanta, Buffalo, Chicago, which of course were the original Blesto teams, Cleveland, Dallas, Detroit, Houston, Jacksonville, Miami. Of course, these didn't exist when it started, but they've since joined. Uh, Jacksonville, Miami, Minnesota, the Giants, and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh obviously was a founding member as well. There's now 15 members of what's called National Scouting, which is the Arizona Cardinals, Carolina Panthers, Cincinnati, Denver, Green Bay, Kansas City, New Orleans, New Jersey, Philadelphia, St. Louis, let's see if I can still do this, Chargers, oh boy, San Francisco, Seattle, who's left, Tampa Bay, and Tennessee. Okay. Um, so there's five teams still out of all the three teams that are unaffiliated with either National Scouting Organization. That includes the Ravens, who still do their own thing. Now, that may change with um, Ozzy stepping down. They either will join uh, or they'll continue to be unaffiliated. We'll see. Uh, Ozzy was one of those guys that always felt much like his boss, that they could kind of do better on their own. Or not his boss, but it's the guy who trained him, which is obviously Bill Belichick, son of Steve Belichick, who wrote one of the first great books about scouting, right? It's called Scouting Method. But um, you then have the Colts, the Anthony Colts, the Patriots, obviously, for Patriots reasons of secrecy, whatever. The Patriots don't like sharing information about anything with anybody, as you'll learn if you talk to NFL people. Uh, Oakland Raiders and Washington are the other teams. So what happens is you spend $100,000 in annual dues, and they assign you at least one scout from the group. So a scout uh, from each team listed that is on the board, that plays with those 27 teams I named, helps to assist the rest of the group with scouting in a group effort. It's a combined, it's the name combine, once again, a combined effort. And National Blessed have a different style of grading. So what happens is scouts evaluate the current class of seniors, visit schools for pro days, work out underclassmen, watch practices, all the stuff that you, you know, would imagine scouts would do. And what happens is that state and information is presented in meetings in Florida, uh, Tampa, about two weeks after the current draft, but looking forward to the next year. They start that early. National and Blesto reports are published from those early meetings and then serve as a starting point for a lengthy evaluation process for all the member teams, the 27 teams, the Blesto and the national teams. And then scouts reunite those players all throughout the season. So it's, once again, two weeks after this draft. So people say the draft never ends. Well, it takes two weeks off, if you want to be honest with you. There's two weeks where these guys are like, hey, kids, oh, you've grown so much. Uh, that kind of thing, I guess. Uh, oh, hi, honey. Kiss the wife on the forehead. Pat the dog who growls at you at first. Oh, wait, no, I remember you. Um, and then after those two weeks, you know, boom. So um, you're back at it again. Now, you're, you're not at it full speed because there's no, you know, not playing again. Obviously, you're just looking at junior tape or sophomores that you think might declare early, but that was something that once you didn't have to worry about that much. This is also a new thing. I mean, I would like to remind you that, you know, the Manning brothers stayed all four years. Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, like this was something that in the old days, you guys may not know this, you had to declare what's called hardship in order to enter the class early, meaning your mom was sick, your dad lost his job, um, you know, you're, you're about to lose the house. You had to have a, a documented reason in the old days to enter the draft early. And what happened is the reasons got flimsier and flimsier. <laughs> you know, uh, my dog ate my homework. I mean, I'm, I'm kidding, sort of, but guys would come up with flimsier and flimsier reasons. My grandma needs a leg operation, whatever. So it would get 
at first it was really legitimate. Like the guys had real legitimate emergencies. It, when guys were coming out in the late 70s, it was bad. You know, like I said, you know, they brought to lose the house, you know, dad had cancer, I mean, bad stuff. So guys would declare early very rarely in the old days. And then by the time you got to the late 80s, eventually they said, okay, fine. You don't have to, you still have to apply for special eligibility. That's what it's called nowadays. They don't call it declaring hardship anymore. It's just you apply for special eligibility. And it's pretty much always granted. I don't think I've ever heard of a kid being denied. Now, except for the two sophomores who tested the, you know, back when Maurice Claret and Mike Williams, USC Mike Williams, tested the, the, the three-year rule by trying to come out as true sophomores and got shot down and spent a year doing nothing. We took, well, was correct, getting to know bad people in and around his hometown and, you know, whatever. You know, long, if you ever watch the 60 for 60 about Maurice Claret, woo, um, shows you how far and how fast a young person's life can run off the rails. Okay, I didn't mean to take you guys down history lessons long as that. I'm sorry, it took longer than I thought it was. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> But I've explained to you how and why the scouting works the way it does, right? Because other than the five unaligned teams that don't have a relationship with their national or blessed of, every other team contributes to and receives from that pool, that combined scouting information, right? So the five unaffiliated schools, uh, schools, sorry, I call them schools, five unaffiliated teams, the five teams with no relationship to either national or blessed of do their own thing either because they think they're better, you know what I mean, like they feel like it's a better use of their resources to not share information, or you're like the Patriots, you're Soviet Russia, basically, and you're always thinking that you need to hide all your information from everybody else, and everyone's trying to spy on you anyway, and they're out to get you, and whatever. So I only half joke about, you know, um, the Belichick and his group, you know, they do truly believe that what they're doing is better, and that everybody else would simply steal from them. That's actually what they believe. If you ever get to talk off the record, probably, to someone who works in that organization, and I have talked to people who've worked, either worked in the past or do work for that organization, there is a very strong culture of what we're doing is better than everybody else is doing anyway. And some of it's kind of true, because once again, being the son of Steve Belichick, you know, uh, William Stephen Belichick has been growing up in a culture of information gathering since he was a child. And so when people say, oh, well, the parents cheat, cheat's a slippery slope. They try certainly always to be ahead of the game when it comes to gathering information. That part is true. And sometimes they're a little too far ahead. You know, they push the envelope maybe a little too far. But it's not even cheating in this, oh, well, we can debate whether it's cheating or not. It's certainly sometimes they push the rules farther than they should. I'll put it that way. But it's not cheating in the sense of, you know, we're trying to create an unfair advantage, but they're trying to create an advantage all the time. And sometimes they you know, get into a gray area. Uh, I'm not a Patriots fan, quite the opposite, but I do admire their commitment to finding every piece of information that could possibly give you an advantage about everything. So they scout, not everybody does, they scout players, they scout coaches also. They want to know who is this coach coached with, how do they coach, why do they coach. You know, I mean, I'm not joking when I say this. If you ever talk to people in the organization, they really do a tremendous scouting of not just players but coaches. They want to know what does this team like to do in this situation? Why don't they do certain things? Are they risk averse? Are they, do they, you know, do they get tight in certain situations? Can you put pressure on the staff, the coaches, not the players, but the staff will make them make mistakes. They really, they scout everything. Like, I don't know how else to put it. They know whose medical staff is good and who isn't. They do. They know, they know who has 
a guy in their player personnel department who drinks. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to say this. Like, they really, where I sort of like Soviet Russia, it's tied to true in that they do like to have, I don't want to say listing devices, but something, they like to have people from their organization know other people in their organization, but it's always a one-way street. They like to always have everyone come in but never go out. That's why they're sort of like Soviet Russia. But, uh, okay, that was, that was, once again, sorry, the, the history lesson went way longer than I planned. Uh, so, we now come to an era where 27 teams, except for the five unaligned teams, have a very structured process, right? So that's the advantage slash disadvantage is that the advantage is that you, you look at that, the separation is cool. You don't have to send your guys necessarily to these certain places because that's covered already, at least in the early process. We've eliminated these certain players. We can already tell you, well, this guy's not going to make it. Now, you have to believe in them when they tell you this, and vice versa. They could, once again, they may tell you, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be good. So because people like to say, if you can play, they'll find you, but there's, you have to learn how many schools there are, right? I mean, <laughs> there's no way you can literally be everywhere. It can't be done. Even the teams with the very large scouting organizations, and there's some teams that won't name any names, but some of you may already know what I'm talking about, have extremely small scouting organizations. They have a handful of full-time scouts. And I'm literally a handful. And have few, there's one team that as few as 13 years ago only had two full-time scouts. I'm not joking. And a, and a couple of part-timers. This is 13 years ago, 2005, 2006. There's a team, won't name the name, but you, if you think about teams that operate on the sheet, you can probably guess which one it already is, had two full-time scouts. And when their coach, who people marvel hasn't been fired, but he, part of why he hasn't been fired is they know that very few other coaches would work under the conditions he works under. Um, demanded in his last contract when he extended that they triple the scouting staff. So now they have, they didn't triple the number of full-timers, they doubled the number of full-timers and added another three part-timers. But still they have a by far the smallest scouting operation in the NFL, like you can probably guess who it is. Uh, but most teams have a scouting organization two or three times that size. There are a couple of teams put the margins, like I said, one's super cheap and those are a little bit cheaper. But this gives them the opportunity to still get a lot of the same information, even if they, they decide to cheap out from their actual scouting organization. So these games, obviously, these teams are a pretty good idea, the 27 teams that have, that have you know, that are affiliated with their national blessed stuff, have seen either in person or on tape all the guys they care about that are in these four games that we're talking about today many, many times, right? Probably every single snap now that we live in the digital age and you can, you know, you're shooting all this stuff, you have access to all the 20, all 22 and you've cut it down into snaps of this particular guy. So you have all the snaps of this guy that he's played pretty much the whole season, all the snaps on this guy. So let's say there's seven guys that you have on your board that are going to play in the first game that's coming up. You've already seen literally every staff that he's played this season, multiple times. But now you're going to go watch him in person one more time, right? You saw him in person a couple of times. I think people overestimate how many times scouts see even all of the very, very top players in person. You might see the top, top, top guy, you know, guys that you have at the very top of your board, three or four times in person. But guys that you end up drafting, some of you guys you end up drafting in the fourth round, you may only see him in person twice. And then, but you've seen all their snaps because you've once and you've been to practice a couple of times. So you you've, seen, and you've talked to them a little bit. You have a feel for the kid. And they go to the Senior Bowl or the Shrine Game or the 
uh, NFLPA game or, or whatever, you talk to them in person probably at least once even prior to the combine if they're invited to the combine. And once again, we'll talk about the combine process a little bit because lots of guys who are really good get left out of that, right? <laughs> you know, there are lots of really good players that don't even get invited to the combine. Uh, once again, it goes back to the, the process we talked about. So if neither National or Blesto has, a, if they don't come up with a grade that says you're draftable, then it, then someone has to advocate for you, right? So there's obviously about 253 or so, 256, whatever. It's usually about that number, depending on the number of convinced rate picks. It's given every year. About 256 guys or so drafted every year. With a, once again, compensatory can push it up a little higher, but the numbers will, you know, still, the combine advice is usually about 300 and change. So usually they're trying to get everybody to think will be drafted and a few guys who are priority undrafted free agents. But even with all that, there are great players who don't get advice. Come on. Um, and they, many of them ever, ever, ever forget it, like, oh, Philip Lindsay, right? That guy will never forget that he didn't get invited to the combine. I saw him in person at Shrine Game practices. And the guy that stood out to me, Every day that I watched, uh, he was right near the top. The guy who the top guy was a kid named Doris Fountain, uh, who from northern uh, Iowa, who was practically uncoverable um, in, the, in the drills. And I think he dropped one ball the whole, whole week that he was there for Shrine Game. Lindsey uh, was right there with him. Uh, I would also mention Justin Jackson, who ended up getting some snaps with the, with the Chargers. He was terrific. Um, not quite Lindsay, but probably the next r- running back on the list. PJ on defense, PJ Hall, who's now with the Raiders, was a killing machine in practices. Uh, the kid from UConn, uh, Florenzo Fotokasi, was probably the second best guy I saw on defense. Uh, Justin Watson, who left early because he went to go to the Senior Bowl, didn't stick around for the for the last for the game. He didn't stick around for the last practice, and he left. Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon, we're saying to go to the Senior Bowl. Uh, so he was there for the first couple of days and then left. But he was also pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, Lindsey uh, was obviously a smaller back and still is. It's not like he's ever going to be a big back or even medium size. But his power still showed up. His quickness was super obvious. Uh, and I was very surprised he didn't get a, at least a combine invitation. I was a little surprised to me. It was surprised me he wasn't at least a day three draft pick. But once again, this is what drives guys, you know. I mean, to this day, Tom, you know, to this day, Tom Brady can, once again, tell you in order the guys who are picked ahead of him at quarterback and still gets upset about it, right? He will never forget being picked 199. He'll go to his grave remembering he's picked 199. Guys like that take that kind of thing to the grave. Um, I'm going to start with you, Mr. Parson. Um, tell me about the guys you're most excited about watching today. And then give me at least one who's not so obvious. Like, there's the usual suspects, but give me at least one, and maybe two, guys that maybe not everybody's seen a million times, but you think people should pay attention to. Oh, man. Today, uh, it's, it's a couple guys that are definitely on my radar. Uh, when, I am, when I'm watching Oklahoma, it's not a sexy position. And we talked um, talk about this on, on our podcast the other, the other morning. I really am intrigued to watch Cody Ford, big Cody Ford, the yeah. right tackle from Oklahoma. I'm, ex- I'm extremely yeah. excited to see him move and see him against this Alabama front. But and it's crazy because there's a couple prospects on that uh, Oklahoma offensive line, Ben Powers as well as the guard 
Uh, I want to see how he's able to hold up against Raekwon. Uh, Raekwon and, of course, Quinny and Williams, big Q yep. dub. Um, I want to see how he's able to hold up because if he's able to hold up, these games matter so much in the draft process because if he's mm-hmm. able to hold up in pass protection and, in, and, and moving bodies in the run game, that will then allow scouts to go back and say, okay, he stood out when we're, you know, because we've all done it. We're scouting one guy. We go to that guy's tape, but we're watching how the guy he's going head-to-head against is outperforming him, and it's like, okay, you jumped off the screen. Let me go back and look at some of your other tapes, see how well you performed in games, whether it's against uh, UTEP or whoever the competition. Did you play down to your competition? Um, did yep. you play the same? Whatever the case may be, we want. I want to see that. So I'm intrigued to watch Cody Ford and, of course, ben, and Ben Powers as well, just how they handle this this defensive uh, front, that front seven for Alabama. Um, uh, of course, I think this name is starting to rise, but I love Deontay Thompson, the safety from Alabama. Uh, I, I love his game and what he's able to do, an all-around, do-it-all type of safety, sideline to sideline range. He also will come yeah. down in the box and hit you. Uh, he has no problem with that. And and, and I like <laughs> what he does, and, and his, he's a smart kid as well. He was, a bad, he was like a role player last year, uh, sitting behind Minka Fitzpatrick, but that was Minka Fitzpatrick. That's why he didn't see the field as much as he should have. Um, as you see this year, he can make plays and he can really disrupt offenses. Um, looking at the Notre Dame, uh, the Notre Dame and uh, Clemson game, Tevin Coney, the uh, linebacker, yeah. uh, yeah. he has like a, it looks like he has like around a two day, you know, day two uh, grade, you know, second, third round somewhere in there. But you know, six foot one, two forty. I want to see him um, against Travis Etienne explosive running back from Clemson and the Clemson uh, offensive line. I want to see how he's able to hold up because him dropping off in coverage, him covering in space, of course, being coming downhill in the run game is going to be extremely crucial uh, to what he's able to, you know, to his draft stock. Cause if you're able to perform against Clemson, cause the middle linebacker, the linebackers are usually the QB of the front seven. They usually get uh, all the guys in place, whether it's the D line, the, the D tackles, the ends, whatever, they usually set people up in the front seven. So uh, kind of watching the, maybe that little matchup between him and uh, Trevor Lawrence, Sunshine, uh, from Remember the Titans. But, um, yes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the other guy I'm looking at is Julian Love, the corner. From yeah. Yeah. I really want to see him today because, like, like, I, like you know, as I talked about, on our show the other morning, the top three cornerback names you hear are Murphy, Greedy, Baker. Those are the top three you're hearing from every everybody's mouths. So you're hearing DeAndre Baker, Greedy Williams, and Byron Murphy. You're not really hearing Julian Love. You're not really hearing his name like that. But this kid can play. He can play. Now, yep. he's a little bit diminutive in size, you know, 5'11", about 190, 180, somewhere in there. And, and some people will say, well, he, he has a – the build of a slot corner, but we all know it's not it's not the the size of the dog, it's it's the fight in the dog. So if he's out there yeah, and also the, the people really overestimate certain things. I mean it's cool yes. if you like length and we all like it, but the average corner in the NFL is five eleven if you actually measure them all and, and average it out yes. it's five eleven and three eighths and 192 pounds. That's literally the average of every NFL corner. If you add them all up and exactly. divide it by the number of players in the NFL. 
So it's cool if you're 6'1 or 6'2, but if you think that's part of the job description, you end up with, you know, remember, remember uh, Stanley Jean-Baptiste? Remember that? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Remember, remember uh-huh. people talk themselves to, people talk themselves to a lot of tall corners. Remember Sean Smith? I mean, he was all right. But just yeah. the guy's really long and really tall doesn't mean he can play. You've got to, yeah, and then it has, came from the, the Seattle Seahawks defense. People wanted the new Brandon Browners. They wanted uh, um, Richard Sherman. They wanted those tall, long corners. But you're not going to – those were anomalies at the same time that you're going to find guys, and there were some later round picks as well. You're not just – you don't need to go reaching for the tallest, longest corner. If this guy's footwork doesn't, doesn't match, if his, if his hips don't open well – if he's not fully, hips don't lie. Shakira, Shakira told you years ago, kids. Hips don't lie. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's yeah. Hips don't lie. And just for me, I love I love greedy, but I don't like when he travels. When I see him in the slot, and you force him to open his hips before he wants to, he can be. Then he happy. becomes grabby. Then he becomes grabby Williams, which is my other nickname for yeah. him. He does yeah. grab it. He does. Yeah, he does grab a lot. So that's why he's better on the boundary because then he can kind of grab, fight with you, force you to the sideline, armbar you off, and the quarterback has to look somewhere else. You put him in the slot versus premier athletes, he's going to struggle. You know, he's going to struggle because he is a taller, longer range of corner, and those hips, like you said, those hips don't lie. He doesn't move those hips as well. So it, He it, gets it, a little lazy with his feet and hips at times, and that's what – I've never been quite as high as everybody else has been on him. I mean, if he falls to me – if I'm a Steeler and he falls to me, yeah, I'm knocking over people to get to him. But if I'm at the top of the draft, if I'm at the top of the draft, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we've seen this movie before, right? We've seen Morris Claiborne. We've yeah. seen a bunch yeah. of these guys that people fall in love with who get away with a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. And then they get exposed when they get to the NFL because they, the flags come out a little quicker. Those guys are a little quicker on yeah. the draw exam. You can't do that to, to Antonio Brown and get away with it. Not at all. Not at all. You're going to get that flag every day. So that's why every I'm day, all day, all day long, twice on Sunday. That's why. I, that's why I really like Julian Love because I want to see him come out and perform well. And I think he can do that and raise his stock, man. You know, people guys, yep. people really have to. Notre Dame is not a team that people find you know, intriguing and, and exciting to watch. But they're just good at football, you know. They're good at football. Yes, and, and at every position. Well, yes, yep. yep, yep. And people yeah, act like Notre Dame is some – here's what cracks me up. I hear people talking about Notre Dame some gritty little program that fought its way up. You're like, this is another game. This is like, this is like a program <laughs> that was on the cover of magazines with your grandparents weren't bored yet. I mean, this has been this is a flagship program literally for a hundred years. Newt Rodney took the yeah. job in 1914, right? So they've been good for a long time. They've been good for a very long time. This has literally been a hundred-year reign of Notre Dame football. So when you people talk about Notre Dame like it's a gritty little upstart, it's like, oh no, dude, no, 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 Let's not, we're not doing this. Notre Dame is a powerhouse juggernaut program that's been great forever. Now it just so happens they aren't in the that's literally the only thing that they have, quote unquote, going against them. They're not, they're not in Notre, they're not in South Bend, Georgia, or South Bend, Alabama, or South Bend, Mississippi. Right, right. They're South Bend, but they recruit the entire planet. They get kids from everywhere. They get kids from Samoa. They get kids from Connecticut, Texas, name a place. They have kids from it's 
it's you know the United Nations of football at Notre Dame. And yeah. here's what I'm intrigued by. As you just said, all the sort of matchups where athletes in space, right? Because at some point, the line play is going to, I think, be, I'll be honest, and I'll, I might be proven wrong. So take note of this. We'll see if I'm an idiot or not. I think the line play, even with, obviously, Dexter Lawrence makes a little bit of a difference, but even if Dexter Lawrence was there, I think that was going to be closer to a tie than most people think. The offensive line at Notre Dame isn't their best ever, but it's solid. And they weren't going to get beaten. This isn't Maryland. You know what I mean? I don't know how to put this. This is a legitimate (laughs) offensive line with a couple of NFL prospects on it. Now, they they may not be seniors yet. And some of them might be juniors. They're, they're younger than some of their offensive lines. It's not loaded, but it's solid. And there's a couple of guys who are going to play on Sundays in the offensive line, and they're well coached. Once again, it's about a unit. That's how offensive lines are different. Because even defensive lines, they play together to some extent as a unit because they can create certain things for each other and you know, run certain stunts and games and like that. But offensive line is truly the one unit that's a unit. You know what I mean? Like the one that has to – you have a lot of talent. The guys that work well together – bad things happen. You don't want to have an all-star team on your offensive line. You want to have a team. And if you have a couple all-stars on it, that's cool, but they need to be a true unit that works together. I'm interested to see if that turns out where I think it is, which I think will be sort of a tie. Now we move to what happens in space. The running backs of each team, can they break tackles and make people miss? Can the wide receivers not get open, but once they get the ball, what do you get in terms of after the catch? Now that's what I think Notre Dame has is probably its greatest weakness because Clemson's guys but once again, these guys are going to one day, you know, stand on a podium and, you know, hug people and, you know, all that stuff. These are – almost every wide receiver on there who's close to draft eligible has a draftable grade from somebody. Notre Dame's wide receivers, once again, they're not scrubs. This is Notre Dame people. But no. can they, once they get the ball, are they going to get two, three yards after the catch or 20? We know right, that Clemson's right. guys might get 15, 20 yards after the catch if you, if you are careful. If you don't take the right angle, if you don't wrap up. What about Notre Dame's guys in space? Can one or two of them, even if it's not just a couple big plays, can they get at least a couple big plays after the catch where the ball wasn't thrown 30, 40 yards, the ball was thrown eight yards, and then you turn it into a 40-yard play? We know Clemson's guys can do it, can Notre Dame. That's where I think a lot's going to happen. J-Dub, I'm so sorry. We've left no, you out. Can... Please, please no, turn up your guys. Your guys, like guys that you like. Who you like? Well, once again, it doesn't have to be the first game. Pick from any of the four games. To make it up to you, you've got 15 minutes. Go. <laughs> One guy that I'm really looking forward to uh, is Jacobs, the running back for Alabama. Yep. Just because Damian yep. Harris gets all the love. But Jacobs has been by far the better running back this year, and he can really increase his draft stock. Um, I, I don't know. I honestly feel like he may just be a better option for Alabama than Damian Harris. So that's, that's an interesting one guy hey. I'm looking at. <laughs> He's certainly the you know, physically powerful of the two. I don't know if his vision – well, we'll find out, right? If he plays mm-hmm. enough, we'll uh, find yeah. out if his vision is up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I, I can definitely see that. Um, another guy that I, I, I just want to see him perform, everybody knows he's really good. It's Quentin Williams on the defensive line yeah. for Alabama. Yeah. You, everybody knows he's really good. I just want him to prove it against uh, a not-so-good <laughs> – a not-so-good um, uh, offensive line, in my opinion, by Oklahoma. They have Cody Ford, yes, but I just I don't think their offensive line is what they make it out to be, and I just want to see Quentin Williams break through constantly. 
be honest. Yes. Right. Their offensive line is built for the way that they play football. That's how I would describe it. it. They value the ability to get to your guy, so you have to be fairly mobile, but you don't have to be Alabama's offensive line or Wisconsin offensive line. Mm -hmm. You have to knock, you know, people's daubers in the dust on every play because it's not how they play anyway. They're not about mm-hmm. to slam people around. It's not a, they're not th- bouncers throwing guys out of the club. They're greeters showing people to their table. And you, but you just take, show them to your table up this shoulder, and now your quarterback, who runs probably 4-4-5, four, four, takes that little gap created, he's gone. So mm-hmm. they're, they're not about, you know, they're not trying to, you know, literally manhandle people. They may occasionally do that in the run game or on a screen where they, get, they catch some guy not looking. But that's not what they're built around. This isn't, once again, this is not Wisconsin. This isn't Ohio State. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they don't run the ball downhill that much, which is a criticism some people have. Uh, but when they do, partially because people aren't really expecting it, I guess, they tend to have some success in the running game. But their running game is, you know, really about 50% quarterback either planned or, hey, somebody opened up and I took off. Anyway, that's about 50% mm-hmm. of their production run game. Uh, so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see, you said, when they're facing the bully, right, the, the, the guy that other people don't want to see, the guy that you don't want to meet in a dark alley, the guy that says, you know, Debo, right, is my life now. When you face that guy and you just can't politely show him to his table, follow me, sir, we're going this way, and he says, no, 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 I'm going right through your chest, what happens now? Because they haven't seen too many guys mm-hmm. like that. The Big mm-hmm. 12 which I love. I do. I love the Big 12, but I'm, a, I'm from defense. That's what I played. I love defense. So I, I'm conflicted when I watch the Big 12 because I see things that are crimes against everything I've learned about playing defense on a regular basis when I watch the Big 12. Like, no, that's, no, you can't take that. What do you, wait, what, you can't just throw a shoulder at that guy. What, what happened to your arms? Do you not have arms? You know, so I still have time to put a coaching to television when I watch the Big 12. But still what people forget is that when you're built a certain way and you face the bully, you don't have to, once again, you know, we, we watch Karate Kid, right? You don't have to necessarily be physically stronger than the bully to beat the bully. Sometimes you can deceive them, right? You can sometimes use the unexpected attack, right? All that Sun Tzu stuff, right? The very heart of victory is in sound and deception, right? So will they come up with something that will take advantage of the fact that these guys are going to come flying upfield? Now, they're well coached. So if they get burned on a couple of screens, they'll fix it because they do that. That's Alabama. They, they will get, you can't beat them the same way more than once or twice. You've got to have something else. Luckily, Lincoln Riley has the best place to in college football. And it's not close. I mean, he hasn't used all of the stuff yet. He saves some stuff. So you see some good stuff, he's got more. Uh, so that will be uh, a battle I'm interested in. Oh, sorry. Back to you, J-Dub. Oh, yeah, you're fine. Uh, another guy I'm looking at is Raekwon Davis. Uh, he hasn't had the year that he had in 2017. He's got those big, long arms, and uh, if he can get after Kyler Murray and just kind of create some disruption, I feel like that's going to be uh, just good for him and his stock. He's kind of a, a late first round, early second round, but if he really performs well today and then they win and he performs well in the championship, he could see his draft stock soar. Like, I, I honestly feel like he could be a mid-round even – early round talent he's just a freak of nature he's six foot seven 300 pounds and he runs like a gazelle like it it's insane what this kid can do so i really just want to see him perform but then on the other side 
Cody Ford, everybody talks about Greg, Greg Little and Jonah Williams. No one really talks about Cody Ford. Well, if Cody Ford can contain the defensive line of Alabama, that, that's going to see him rise above Greg Little, in my opinion. Uh, we all know Jonah Williams is more than likely going to be the number one offensive tackle off the board. But Greg Little is kind of a shaky number two. I mean, he played for Ole Miss. He hasn't ever put his hand in the dirt. So for a NFL offense, a kid that's never put his hand in the dirt, that's definitely going to hurt him. Well, a guy like Cody Ford who can just prove that he's better than Greg Little, that could see him soar above, uh, above Greg Little and see him get some more money in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, another guy, this is totally off topic, but the Michigan-Florida game, I want to see Jawan Jawan Taylor play, uh, yeah. offensive yeah. tackle as well. Uh, I was just looking on boards. I had never heard of this kid, and everybody has him going mid-round, and I was like, I've never even heard of this kid, so I really want to watch him just because I haven't got to see him play all year long. Uh, I, I absolutely know nothing about him. I really don't. I just know he's big. That's all I know about him. <laughs> okay. Well, here's the good news. If you're an offensive tackle, if you have a good close to your season, and you test well at the combine, that'll send everybody scurrying back to your tape because I know Jonah Williams is sort of assumed to be the number one. I wouldn't be shocked if he got overtaken late in the process by someone else. Mm-hmm. None of the tackles I've seen, including Jonah Williams, have blown my mind. I haven't seen a guy where I thought, oh, well, that guy's going to be the next Joe Thomas. Like, none of those guys I've seen thus far. This, this I think, if you're a – if you're six foot six and a half and 309 pounds and you test well at the combine and they go back and find that your tape is at least good, somebody may push you up their board. This is not a great group of, in my mind. And once again, you know, I'm not, offensive tackle is not my strength as an evaluator, but nobody, I know what I know, and there's nobody I've looked at and said, wow, that guy's great. <laughs> oh my God. There's nobody, no, not this year. Not a single one has made me. Just sit and think, oh, wow, there's no way this guy's not going to be a great pro. I've seen guys who have talent. I've seen guys who, as said, somebody talked about, you know, Ford moves well. There's a few guys who move well, and that's what Greg Little's whole thing is. He, he can really move. But, as was just pointed out, his technique isn't the greatest, and he's not nearly from what I've seen. And once again, we'll see how he tests. But I wouldn't be shocked if he's like a guy that puts up like 19 reps. He doesn't show yeah, me no, a I lot. I definitely see that. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, I wouldn't to see. Mm-hmm. You know how you see, like, people talk about heavy hands or shocking guys or rocking guys back or whatever. I'm looking for the Greg Little tape where I see him just, where guys are, like, snapping back or, you know, wow, oh, my God, you know, that, I can't believe that guy broke my chest plate. I'm waiting for that because I haven't seen it anywhere. And I've watched him for more than one year, and I still haven't seen the, you know, the guy where he just, you see a guy just shock a guy with his power in his hands. Haven't seen it yet. Still waiting for it. That no, worries I, I me because agree. Point, I definitely agree. Kenny Watts would be like, "Oh, oh, you're a finesse tackle." <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? That's, that's all he wants. Is I mean, he can use speed too, but his favorite thing is throwing. Oh, cool! You're a finesse tackle. Well, watch when I do this. You're gonna lean a little bit. Then boom! I throw you out of the club. Right? He's a bouncer. He will throw you out of the club. Uh oh, 3 a.m. closing time. So. You may be able to handle B forward in that bunch, right? The speed guys, you might be fine with your finesse tackle. But at some point, even some of the speed guys know how to convert speed to power. Uh-oh, Max, not going up climbing my upfield shoulder. Oh, he decided to. Oh, God, now I'm on the ground, right? So mm-hmm. there's that. at some point, strength matters. 
I don't care how well you move. If you're going to play offensive line or defensive line, at some point you've got to have some power. You've got to have some strength. You've got to be able to anchor. You've got to be able to move people who don't want to be moved against their will. If you can't do that, no matter how well you move, no matter how well you've been coached, if there's no strength in your game, somebody will realize that and it won't take them long and you will be powered, overpowered, snap after snap after snap after snap after snap. That's not what I want from a left tackle. I, I, I don't want to have to help you with a tight end all the time. You know what I mean? Like, why am I giving you all this money? At some point, I need to leave you alone sometime. How about I throw the ball to my tight end if he's constantly helping? So, yeah, um, that's a concern I have about a lot of the tackles, frankly, in this class. Who's the, who's the guy who just has this great ability to anchor? Who has this great ability to shock people with the power in his arm? who has the ability to, to take a guy who kind of beats him but can recover and has enough power, even though he's a little bit off balance, to still shut this guy down, maybe shoves him to the inside, shoves him into a guard or shoves him in, you know, shuts him down by slamming him into, you know, another guy who's maybe trying to loop around. And, you know, sometimes he's that thing where wipes out two guys. Do that. Show me you can do that. When you get kind of beat, but you recover enough, you don't get all the way back into good position. You have enough power that you use what strength you have to, even though you're out of position, you're, you're leaning kind of a long way, but you have enough power to, boom, stop that guy anyway, as opposed to, oh, well, I just go through you, you know, like water through a sieve, which I've seen way too much of. Um, cool. Okay, keep going. I'm going to give you another few minutes, Jada, because we, we, we kind of shut you out at first. A couple more minutes. Who else? Um, let's see. I really like Jerry Tillery, uh, defensive lineman uh, out of Notre Dame. And I also like yeah. Christian Wilkins, defensive line out of uh, Clemson. Uh, I, I really, I really want to watch Christian Wilkins just because Dexter Lawrence isn't there. And we all know mm-hmm. Notre Dame, just out of nowhere, always puts in two or three guys into the draft out of their offensive line. Yep. It happens every single year. And they'll be so good. We know they have and they'll be good. Line. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I really want to see Christian Wilkins not have Dexter Lawrence. Yep. Just see what he can do by himself, to be honest. Yep, no, no security blanket, right. Compare and contrast the two. Compare um, Mr. Jerry Tillery with, with Christian Wilkins. What are some things you like? And if there's weaknesses you've noticed in each, tell me what those two are. Sort of compare the two to each other. Let me see. Let me go back to my notes here. Uh, let's see. On Jerry Tillery... I said he reminded me a lot of a worse Ed Oliver, if that makes sense. Ed <laughs> Oliver's kind of a big guy who can shed block. That's kind of what I said Jerry Tillery is like. Uh, yeah, okay. But then again, Jerry Tillery's playing better competition, and Ed Oliver's playing guys he would – I mean, he plays for Houston, let's just say it. But, um, yeah, Jerry Tillery just reminds me of a worse uh, Ed Oliver. Um one thing I like about Christian Wilkins is his just his he's huge. He just fills gaps in the run game. And I feel like that's yep. really underrated in the college game. You don't really think about it until you get to the NFL. But he fills gaps. He can take on two guys and still make a play. I, I really think that's going to do well against a Notre Dame offense who uh, is a very pro-style offense. So I feel like he's going to do well, and I, I want to see him do well today. Yes. Well, we're going to get to see, obviously, Mr. Huggins, who is the replacement or backup, whatever, to Dexter Lawrence. He, he, obviously, he'll get a chance to sort of make his presence known going into the next season. 
if he has a huge mm-hmm. game, and that's the thing I was, I, I, I'm excited about is what, what is this kid going to do? Because now, obviously, uh, we know about all the other guys, right? All the other Clemson defensive linemen are all well-established. We know probably too much about them. We've been hearing about them for two years now. We've seen six, seven, eight tapes of them um, against top-level competition. We kind of know what they are. I mean, testing will still help us sort them out when we get to the combine, but we, 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 we don't really like what we don't like. Uh, Dexter Lawrence, this won't help him, obviously, but I, I don't think it'll hurt him that much. Once again, unless no, he's terrible. Either. I mean, it, whatever. We'll see. 340-pound human beings who can move are hard to find. It's what, what Bill Parcells called the planet theory. We can only find a handful of people who are like something on a planet, like a whole planet. You, that's a guy you can't really wait on because there aren't many to choose from. So he'll probably still be fine. Assume he doesn't mess something up at the combine or have a terrible day testing, whatever, but he'll probably be okay. But Mr. Huggins needs to announce his name to the world, and obviously, as you said, this also means even more focus on Christian Wilkins and some of the other guys on their, on their, on their defensive line. I, I'm interested to see how that works out as well. Uh, obviously, I want to see how Ian Book works out. Uh, we've seen him have some really good games against Fairly, fairly good competition, obviously. They, they, don't, they play a good schedule, they play a solid schedule. They played, you know, USC and Stanford. They played some teams that have decent defensive units. Coverage is a funny thing in college because there's a handful of teams, and obviously most of them in the SEC, that have the ability to just go man press most of the time. Most teams in college play some sort of zone most of the time, with a handful of exceptions, right? There's a handful of teams, you know, the Big Ten has a couple of teams that play a lot of press man, but, but most teams don't. Some teams play some sort of catch man or bump and bail or matchup zone or just plain old zone. A fair number of teams will sit in two or three different kinds of zone coverage all day long. And if you're a good offensive line and your quarterback's halfway decent and your receivers are exceptional, if you have exceptional receivers, your offensive line gives the quarterback enough time, and the quarterback's at least good, you should have a pretty decent day in the offense against a lot of teams that just don't do much in coverage. Obviously, Alabama does a lot in coverage. TCU, even though it's a very down year for TCU, they still have one of the more interesting situations in what they do in terms of disguising coverages, even with a, a lesser talent year. You still saw them do some stuff. So if somebody has a good day against TCU, sure, they might just be beating them with talent because it's a bad year for them this year, but as a quarterback, if you don't, have a few misreads against GCU, even with a bad talent year they're having, it still means that you're good at figuring out what they're doing because they do a lot of – they'll jump into quarter-quarter pass and they'll jump into man, they'll jump into cover one robbers, and they'll jump – I mean, they do a lot of fun stuff, right, in their, in their coverage. There's some cool – if you just like reading books about football, Gary Patterson has a really good book about what they do in their 425 and the back end in terms of coverages, and it's pretty crazy stuff they do. Uh, Virginia Tech. Even in a down year, you know they do a lot of fun stuff. Uh, Bud Foster is basically a god uh, when it comes to to teaching defenses. Bad year anyway, but they lost some guys. They had one guy who was on the supplemental draft. It was an odd year for them. So they they had a down year, but even then they do a lot of fun stuff in terms of pattern matching and jumping in out of different kinds of coverage and looks and things like that. Like I said, you know, obviously LSU, Alabama, you know, the usual suspects in the SEC, blah, blah, blah. USC used to do fun stuff back in the Pete Carroll days. They've kind of calmed it down in terms of what they do in the back half of their defense and coverages, and now they, they, they play some man, they play some off man, very occasionally jump into press, but mostly they play a couple of different kinds, you know, quarters man, um, quarters zone, 
uh, cover one and then, you know, cover three matchup. But Washington, thank you. Here's the, the other thing. Someone mentioned earlier that Washington has become, you know, the West Coast version of DBU the last few years. They have at least one, for almost 10 years straight, they've had at least one DB prospect, be it either safety or corner, that somebody thought should go in the top 150 pick. Almost a 10-year run. It's not quite LSU or Alabama. I mean, you know, or even, you know, even uh, maybe Florida. But the West Coast, for the West Coast, right, it's probably as good as it gets in terms of putting kind of DBs. So I'm always intrigued to see how Washington guys do in terms of, you know, whoever they play. Whoever they play, somebody has good, good wide receivers. Um, I'm intrigued also to see, you know, somebody mentioned Sunshine, right? I mean, it's easy to forget that this kid a year ago, well, a year ago he was I'm watching these games. But it's what a year ago. He was watching these games. That's what he was doing. He was at home. He was 17 uh, last year. So he was at home watching these games. He's played some decent competition, but obviously Notre Dame is a bit of a step up, and then if they do beat them, obviously Alabama is a big step up from anything he's seen in terms of, especially what they do in terms of coverages. I mean, Alabama does as much as anybody in the nation does in terms of coverage and changing coverages. And then they have the athletes to back it up. So they're not just trying to trick you. They are trying to trick you, but they're not just trying to trick you. Even if, even if you guess right, even if you're correct, they have guys who can go from way over here. Well, he's way over here on this, on this hash. I'm going to be able to get fit that, that deep out over Oh, wait, how do you get there? Right, so they, that's obviously going to be a big deal. Uh, how does Clemson's offensive line deal with Notre Dame? But obviously even more if they win, how do they deal with Alabama, as we already mentioned. I'm also interested to see Alabama's wide receivers. We always assume that their receivers are good because, because Alabama. But Clemson's defense isn't amazing in the back half. It's good, solid. Uh, I think Notre Dame actually may be the better matchup in terms of how well coached their, their, their defensive backs are. And not all of them are freak athletes. I think Julian Love's a good athlete. But they're all good enough. So I'll be interested to see. I mean, once again, we don't know who's going to win. So potentially Notre Dame could find its way to the I know most people are assuming it's going to be close to it. But I, I would say don't sleep on Notre Dame as a whole. Don't sleep on Notre Dame as a no, whole. No, Notre Dame. All right, thank you. Notre Dame, like I said, I hear people talk about Notre Dame like they, they play in the MAC. You know what I mean? Like there's some plucky little, like, dude, this is Notre Dame. Like they're, they're top five in recruiting practically every year, at least top ten. They, they have, have you seen their facilities? There are literally proteins that would envy their weight room. I'm not joking when I say that. There are proteins that would envy their medical staff, and I'm literally, I wish I were joking when I say that. There's some medical teams that kind of do it on the cheap. <laughs> I'm not joking. I wish I were joking. I won't name names. Well, maybe off air. Uh, but there are some NFL, people will be shocked. People always assume everything's better in the NFL. Not always. There are some NFL teams that cut corners. I'm just, once again, if you don't already know, we're going to talk off air. I'll name names. That you'd be shocked if I told you some of the things that I've heard from kids who are playing in the NFL. It's like, wow, like we had a better practice bubble at, you know, we had a better such and such at our, but that's not the best. This is, this is the NFL. I thought it was the best of the best. Well, it is mostly, but mm, some teams. Um, let's end. I'll save it if you want to really know. I'll name some names off air. But their facilities are as good as it gets. Their facilities are just as good as anybody in the SEC. The only thing they don't have is the nice weather. Like, you know, they don't have, you know, they don't have that. You can't practice uh, outside as much in Indiana because Midwest, right? It's, you know, hey, 27 degrees, sure, whatever. 
uh, happens here. You know, obviously they've got that. But, but everything else, you talk about physical plant, coaching, everything other than location, they're right there with any SEC school you want to name. They've got all the other stuff. Just like, and like I said, in terms of recruitment, they're, you know, they're a couple of notches behind Alabama. Not, they can see them. It's not like no, they ran away and hid from them. No, they can see you. Like they're in the, they might be in the in your rearview mirror, but they're not out of sight. They're over there. You can see them. Uh, Brian Kelly is a terrific coach. His coaching staff is filled with guys, some of whom will be head coaches someday. Uh, but his his offensive line is incredibly well coached. His linebackers are super well coached. I mean, it's just well coached team, very well coached. I just like I said, the thing that I think might matter is their their wide receivers. Can they do stuff once they have the ball in their hands? Ian Books can get the ball into their hands. They're going to be able to get enough openings, especially, you know, with, with Ian Book being super accurate. He's going to get some guys the ball. What do they do once they get it? Can they break a tackle? Can they shake some up? Uh, can they running game, right? Can, can they get some big plays in the running game? Uh, they have some talent, right? Their, their running game isn't, you know, we think of Dexter's, right? We've been talking about guys named Dexter. They've got a Dexter, too. <laughs> you know, we've got a Dexter of our own. If he can get a couple of big plays, because they don't have to get 300 yards in the running game or 200 yards in the running game. They need to get balanced, though. They can get 180 yards, 160 yards in the run game, and 250, 260 in the passing game, not have a bunch of three and outs. This is going to be a game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't think it's going to be 17, 20, whatever some of these people are thinking. No, I don't, I don't see that coming. That's because of how well-coached Notre Dame is. And once again, they're not – these guys are scrubs. I don't know where people – like get this in their head that this team's going to get pushed around. I, I don't see that. I think they might get out athletes at a few positions, but getting just wiped off, wiped, just pushed, no. I don't see that getting, I don't get wiped out. I don't see any of Oklahoma's a little more of a question mark just because they're in defense. I mean, it's not like a secret. We all know that, I mean, they got eviscerated by teams on defense that just aren't that good. So you worry. You worry a lot about that. Like, hmm, uh, uh. Um, a couple of things we haven't talked about, I just want to touch on. The tight end position, now some teams don't really care about the tight end position, but there are teams that care about it, and I think there's going to be a couple of big plays that will come from Alabama's tight end position. They've had good tight ends for a minute, obviously, and Irv Smith fits right into the lineage. He can block, not a devastating blocker, but he can block. And but who is? I mean, there, you know, Orson Moby's not walking that door, son. Uh, you know, Benny, Benny, Benny Cunningham's not walking through the door. These, these guys were like a third tackle. Don't, you don't see those guys much anymore. But he's a good functional blocker. He understands positioning. He's strong enough, wants to get it done, willing, uh, and like I said, sound in all areas of the blocker. But obviously what we care about is watching him catch the ball. And can they create some matchups for him? You know, sometimes we get that surprise deep over route, Right. Well, you don't really think it's going to be a receiver running that big bend or running that deep over or that, that dig, but you can do it with the tight end. And how good are your safeties in, in space? How good are your linebackers in space? Because if they find a matchup that they like, hey, your linebackers are getting killed by our, by, our, by our tight end, they would come back to it again and again to you until they force you to make some sort of change to try to take it away, and now, boom, they hit Jerry Judy, you know, on a, on a sluggo or whatever. You know, we have to, that, these things get set up by that. Okay, we've discussed the, the big four games. Is there any, before we move on from them, is there another player, uh, I'll go back to you, um, um, uh, Damien, 
Is there another player that we've left out so far that you want to mention from either of the, the sort of final four before we move on to some of the other bowl game guys, even guys you've seen recently already that you like that you think aren't getting enough love? And if you guys are over, we'll talk about them in a second as well. But any other guys you want to talk about about these four games, and then we'll, we'll open it up. The last guy I wanted to discuss was uh, Travion Mullen, the corner from yep. Clemson. Um, yep. You know, he's a long physical corner. Uh, he can, you know, he functioned well in both press and zone, press man and zone coverage. And like you talked about with Notre Dame's receivers, they have, they have some big body receivers, some guys can go up and uh, get up and go get it. But after the catch, it's going to be very important for them, very vital to extend drives, make, you know, get some, you know, take that five-yard slant and turn into a 15, 20-yard game. Can they do that? And Mullen is going to be big. And like I said, when you took, as I talked about with Julian, uh, Julian Love, you know, Mullen's probably a day, day two, day three prospect, but he has some tools that you can work with on the pro level. So this is a game, and this playoffs, you know, especially they, if they are able to squeak out this win against Notre Dame, and then, you know, it, whether he's matching up against uh, Hollywood Brown for Oklahoma, yeah. Marquise Brown, or, or matching up with Ju, uh, Jerry Judy or, 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 um, or Waddle, or Wado from uh, the, the true freshman, number 17, from Alabama, yep. whoever he's matching up against, then that, that's his, uh, his time to put his name out there and say, listen, I can cover anyone. I can cover big, tall, fast, small, whatever. I can match up against anybody. This is his moment for me. I want to look at him and see how he plays. Um, his short area quickness and recovery yep. speed. And he does have uh, back to you, J-Dub. Is there a guy that you – or guys. There are a couple of guys that we left out because you feel like you feel like we've, we've done something wrong, but we haven't mentioned them before we move, move open it up to the other guys. Um, I, okay, one last guy, uh, receiver for Oklahoma, C.D. Lamb. Yep. Uh, I want to see him. Want to see him take the next step because we all know Marquise Brown. If he if he does play, and I really don't know if he is or not, I haven't really looked much into it. But he's not going to be 100 percent healthy. Uh, C.D. Lamb's got to take that next step uh, to make that Oklahoma offense even relevant against probably the best defense in the country. Yeah, yeah. This this could be a big C.D. Lamb game. Um, I believe unless he's basically half dead, Marquise Brown is a. I mean, not to, once again, bring in the whole whose cousin he is thing because he doesn't beat to death, but he's a tough kid from a mm-hmm. tough place. You know, I'll leave it at that. He's been through some things, and he, I guarantee you, if he can go, he'll go. I would be shocked if he doesn't go. But as was just mentioned, he won't be 100%. He won't be very close. Uh, so he'll probably still be able to get open. He'll probably be a lot less explosive after the catch. That would be probably the difference. And some of those things where he does catch a seven-yard in or whatever, and then, you know, some – he blows up somebody's angle by accelerating away, and boom, now it's a touchdown. That may not be there for you because he gets caught, because he can't explode like that because he's not 100%. That will probably be what will happen is he just won't be as nearly as dangerous and nearly as explosive. CeeDee Lamb, however, is 100% healthy. And I would be doing everything possible to You know, so if I had to stack, uh, if I had to move him around, whatever it is, I might do that just in order to make sure that, that I get CeeDee Lamb some opportunities. And obviously, I'm going to throw the running backs a lot. I mean, they do that a fair amount, but I'm going to do it a lot uh, because their running backs are good receivers and really good in space. 
uh, once again, obviously, they were in all, everybody that Oklahoma recruits on offensive skill is good in space. Uh, you worry sometimes about, about how they deal with the phone booth, but they're all good in space. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. So uh, let's open it up. Um, I'll jump back. Well, I'll stay with you for the moment, Jacob. In the bowl season as a whole, and even guys that maybe you saw towards the end of the year, of course some other guys that you've noticed, maybe you weren't sold on them at first, but now you're warming up to them, or vice versa. Maybe there are guys that you really liked at first, but now you've cooled on them because maybe you saw more of them and realized, maybe you're not what I thought you were. Um, I would say, oh, my man, go ahead, man. No, you're fine. No, no, you're good. You're good. I got to think about this one for a little bit. Do you want me to come back to you? Yeah, if you could. Let, let me give me a second to think about it. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Okay, go ahead. All Get right, in there, D. All right. Uh, for me, I, the guy that I looked at early on that I, I felt was just a surefire, can't miss. Well, I wouldn't say can't miss, but, you know, was one of my favorite players at the beginning of the season was Justin Herbert. And as I continued to watch during the season, I was like, okay, he has all the tools, the six foot five, six foot six. 220, 230 build, the powerful, lively arm, but his decision-making, he gets out of the pocket too quick, doesn't trust his, his uh, offensive line at times. He has some things he needs to work on, so I was like, if he can come back, this was well before he decided to uh, return for a senior season, I was like, if he can come back, he can com- complete his uh, his NFL draft stock by getting better working on some some of uh, his accuracy. You know, he does have a little bit of issues with his accuracy. Sometimes ball placement is a little inconsistent. Get consistent with it and, and uh, better himself in those in those areas. And he's definitely, even though it's a loaded, probably looking to be a loaded 2020 QB class, I believe he's doing the right thing. So he was one of my guys starting out. I mean, still, he's, I'm still a fan of his, but um, I kind of tapered off the expectations or the hype, uh, like maybe midway through the season. Um, a guy that I wasn't really high on, I didn't really watch too much of, uh, Karan Higdon, the running back from Michigan. Yeah, I am, yeah. I, I'm definitely a fan of his, man. Uh, you know, he is an explosive, explosive guy. Explosive, he's fast. You know, going back to uh, high school, he ran. Uh, he was a, a he ran the hundred meter dash something by eleven one. So he has he's he's used to being a track a track guy who has speed to go the distance. And you look at his tape, you give him a, a hole, he's going to take it. He's a physical runner as well. You know he he is he has a build where he he looks for contact so much so that one of the knocks is that he does miss big bigger plays because he's trying to you know, set that tone by lowering the shoulder where he – and he does have movement in open space where he could make a guy miss with a nice little two-step or stiff arm, jump cut, whatever the case may be, and, and take it up the sideline. He will look for – he will actually look for contact at times. And I think he needs to – you know, depends on what the situation is. If, if the guy's right in front of you, of course, lay the lumber to him. Set that tone. But if you can make a guy miss and take it 80, take it 80. That touchdown is what you need. You don't have to set the tone every single run. So that that is a guy that I'm really uh, looking forward to, especially today. Uh, if he's playing, I don't, I think he, I don't think he's playing today. I can't remember, but if he is playing against Florida, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I would love to see him play. Um, but either way, this draft, this draft process, I'm going to be watching more and more tape on him because I'm actually a fan of his now. Yeah, I know he got hurt late in the season. I have to check to see if he's 
good enough to go. I, I liked him a little bit last year, and I like him more this year. And I mentioned Justin Jackson, who, of course, is now playing for the Chargers. I see a lot of similarities. You know, not similar size, similar burst, similar questions about finding big plays where they sometimes may miss them because, I mean, yeah, I mean, some, not quite sees everything, but you can coach good about vision, and you can – some things can be coached, some things can't be coached. Some people think vision can't be coached. Well, vision is really understanding the blocking scheme and patience. If you can understand your blocking scheme and you're patient enough, you can learn to have better quote-unquote vision. Because it's not, it's not literally your eyes that usually tell you where to go uh, to some extent. But it's more, one, understanding the blocking scheme and being patient enough to know where the weakness should be. Now, if your offensive line is terrible, then you, really, then you really have to use your vision because now you're saying, uh-oh, you know, because now you have to find something that isn't really there. And that's where guys like Barry Sanders and a handful of others really excel is your offensive line is terrible, but you still manage to make big plays. But that's not most running backs. There's a handful of running backs that can make big plays out of, you know, make chicken salad out of chicken bleep, right? There's a handful of guys that can do that. Most guys can't. That's not normal. That's a Hall of Fame guy. So guys can do that consistently. We, we put them in the Hall of Fame. You know, Darren Sproles, he's not going to be a Hall of Famer, but he's in the Hall of Really, Really Good. Uh, the aforementioned Barry Sanders, uh, even Curtis Martin. It's funny because some people are like, Curtis Martin, go back and watch Curtis Martin, people. I know people like to sometimes kind of poo-poo Curtis Martin because, yeah, 4.3 yards every time or whatever. But yet he was an incredibly patient runner, and his understanding of blocking schemes was as good as it gets. You'll find no one better at understanding where this hole should be. And he wasn't the fastest, he wasn't the biggest, he wasn't whatever, but he was one of the best when it came to pressing the hole, pressing the hole, waiting for the last possible minute. And then he could still do enough if it turns out it really wasn't there to pick up that four or five yards where a lot of backs would have panicked early, tried to take it outside, gotten tackled, losing three yards. He lost you three yards almost never. He almost never took yards away from you. If there's nothing there, he might get you nothing. But he's not going to go and lose you five or six yards. Like a lot of guys who panic and start, let me peel back. Let me try to find something that isn't there. Uh, but, yeah, I'm excited to see. Actually, the, there's a bunch of running backs I'm excited to see uh, for almost every team. Every team is in the final four, and then a bunch of teams that aren't in the final four have running backs that I'm really excited to see. I think that there's a lot to get excited about, quite frankly, about a bunch of different teams. Okay, you, I assume you've had enough time to think. I'm going to bring J-Dub back in. Yeah, one guy that I was really excited to watch this year that just didn't have the year that I thought he was going to have was A.J. Brown. Um, because the reason he had such good numbers, and I didn't realize this, the reason he had such big numbers uh, last year was because he was playing slot. He was playing against these linebackers that just couldn't keep up with him. Well, they finally moved him out to the edge this year, and he just he doesn't have – I guess he just doesn't have that 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 ability to separate from good corners. So I was I was disappointed. I was surefire. I was like, this kid, 100%, is going to be a top 10 pick, no doubt about it. He's going to have like 15 touchdowns this year. He's going to win all kinds of awards, and he did not do anywhere near that. But uh, one guy that surprised me is I'm from Kentucky. And uh, this is basketball state, so I'm not a Kentucky fan, but all of my friends are Kentucky fans. They were saying Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Josh Allen this, Josh Allen that. And I was like, there's no way this kid's that good. Uh, granted, 
me being from Kentucky, I've never thought Kentucky football is that good. So for them to say a player is good, I was like, there's no way. They say this every year. This kid's just going to be an average player. Turns out I love this kid a lot. He is by far my favorite player in the draft. He he can literally do everything. He can shed blocks. He can rush the passer. He's even good in coverage. I've seen him deflect passes in coverage. So I'm a big Josh Allen guy. Uh, but, yeah, an, another guy that for me just – didn't have it this year. Uh, once again, being from Kentucky, Benny Snell. Like I, I just, I just thought he was going to be it. I thought he was going to be a first-round pick, uh, just by the way he's ran. He's a thousand-yard rusher every year, but he just, he just didn't have it for me this year. There's just something about him. I felt like he started off way too hot, got into the hype, and just he didn't, he didn't perform the way I wanted him to at the, the end of the season. I feel like that's why Kentucky went on the downhill. And why they're not playing in a playing in a bigger bowl? Well, I mean, one and once again, since we're taking shots at Kentucky football, it seems like this is still a great year for Kentucky. That, that's not. That's not oh heck that's yeah! Not forget. Oh heck yeah! I mean, uh, Benny Snell carried an offense that doesn't have a lot not named Benny Snell. Let's be completely honest mm-hmm. about that. Uh, that, they off, have a quarterback that offense who's, literally. That, that offense literally yeah. cannot throw the ball. I've never seen an offense not well, throw the ball, but that offense cannot throw the ball. Yeah, I know. Army is like, hey, dudes, let's, you're, you're officially in the passing game. Can you use some work? I mean, triple option teams are laughing at them. I know, I get it. But mm-hmm. here's the point I'm making. With, it's not that to surprise anybody. Everybody knows. Like, everybody knows. Every, but three or four games in the last year, every team was saying, oh, we just got to stop Benny Snell, and if we did, we got him. So with that in mind, as they played tougher competition and things like that, and just the physical pounding that kid took, because it wasn't like they were, you know, I don't think he had fewer than 28 touches at any point this season. Um, he's, he'll be fine. Like, the, he, he'll probably be a second rounder. Once again, we'll see what the combine. I mean, he may still have an amazing combine and put his way back into the first. But, hey, second, third is fine. He's still going to be a good, a good pro. Mm-hmm. He'll be part of no, a, a committee. He'll be part of a committee. He'll probably be the the third down back, or he might even be the back, depending upon who else is there when he gets to the NFL, but he'll be fine. Uh, I, I don't know what you were expecting him to do on a team where he's the entire office pretty much, and after a while, I don't care how talented you are, if there's nothing else to worry about, if you don't prepare for anything else, and his offensive line is okay, but it's not like there's such a good offensive line that if everybody knows that Barry Stuff gives the ball on pretty much every play that matters, like I said, I mean, I just want you not to be too hard on Benny Snell. No, 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 no. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. It's just I expected him to be a top 15 pick. And not not that he did horrible. Not that he did horrible this year. I just – he just, oh, didn't, yeah, he he just didn't, didn't – yeah. So he didn't, didn't have a Bo Jackson, Bill Campbell, Herschel Walker. Now you're thinking like Ricky Williams in his mm-hmm. junior year at Texas. Yeah, that kind of no, thing. That, that's exactly what I'm trying to say right there. He's going for yards and just runs over everybody's chest no matter – he just runs through nine bad boxes, no problem. Well, that's that's rare. I mean, you know, we have to set our standards somewhat differently. For I mean, I got a chance to actually. I mean, I'm old, as I mentioned, but I got a chance to watch a lot of the greatest of the greats. I got to see Earl Campbell at Texas, right? I got to see um, Herschel. I got to see Bo. I got to see. There's a hand, there's a short list of guys where you can put a nine, ten, eleven, whatever. Everybody that's eligible to be on the field could be in the box, and they're still just going to run through them. That's, not, that's a short, short list to do. Adrian Peterson, it's a short list. 
I mean, like eight or nine guys in the past 50 years. So Vinny Snell's not that, but he's good. He'll be fine. Uh, but let me just, I mean, doubled up on Josh Allen. Now, I liked Josh Allen last year. Um, he was a guy that I would have taken probably in the second last year if he declared. He would have been a top 50 pick, in my mind, last year. He's sort of like a poor man's Khalil Mack. Not quite as powerful because, you know, how yeah. many guys are, but, but he, as you said, Khalil Mack played some middle linebacker. Go back and watch the tape. He played like third-free linebacker at times quite a bit and played it well. And played it well. He played Mike. He, played, mm-hmm. he could have played literally all three of the, the four three linebacker positions and the end at a high enough level. He could have been a guy who could be an all-pro at Mike linebacker, Will linebacker, Sam linebacker, and defensive end, three or four outside mm-hmm. linebackers. That's four or five different positions he could be literally an all-pro. Allen's not quite that in that I don't think he could actually be like an all-pro Mike linebacker at the NFL level, but he could play three or four Two or at least two or three different positions at a super high level. Three, four outside linebacker, four, three DN, maybe even a four, three Sam if you don't ask him to cover too, too much. I mean, you can cover a little bit, but you don't want, I don't want him to be a guy who's dropping 30% of the time. That's not what I want from Josh Allen. That would be a poor use of Josh Allen in my world, at least. Mm-hmm. But, but he's a terrific player. And I think, I mean, I don't know if there's many other players that would take over him. I know people are super excited about Quentin Williams and some other guys. I, I think Josh Allen is going to have the best career of any of the defensive prospects in the entire draft class. And not far behind that, I have that Oliver. Which people start to cool on him. He's too small. He's too this. Like, I've seen this movie before. Oh, yeah, go ahead and doubt him. He's going to put on 12 pounds. It's not like he can, 12 pounds is going to kill him. He's going to keep him carry 282 pounds, people. I promise you that. And he can, he can, he can do just about anything. You could play him legitimately as Sam Linebacker. Have you seen Ed Oliver do linebacker drills? And I know people like to say level competition, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, cool. But look at what he did when he played against Oklahoma or whoever. Whip out any time he played up in terms of level competition. He had some of his best games against good teams. The teams where he had the most trouble wasn't great teams. It was Army. You know, it was Navy. It was like, that was where he had the most trouble. Triple option. He does not like, luckily, the NFL, nobody runs triple option. Because if he ran into a triple option heavy NFL, he might struggle because he hates playing triple option. He still gave good effort, but you could tell he didn't like it. But then who does? Nobody likes being chopped. That's no fun for defensive linemen. No, cuff locks are not fun. They don't, they don't like it. But every time he played up against any team that wasn't triple option, I'll put it that way, he shows up all the time, runs down screens from the other side of the field, just crazy stuff. So... You can't play him in certain situations. You shouldn't ask him to do certain things. Like, you shouldn't ask him to be like a true nose or nose shade. That doesn't make much sense. He's going to be 282-ish at the most. He's going to play in, you know, he's probably most comfortable about 277, 279. So because of that, you shouldn't ask him to fight 330-pound dudes all the time, all day, especially multiple 330-pound dudes. But if you move him around, some four eyes, some three, some, you know, you, you're going to get a lot out of it already if you use him wisely. Like, if he, if he doesn't make it, it's probably on you. Um, that's probably what I'm saying. You're probably doing something wrong. If you so but lately people cooled on him. A lot of people had him right in the top one, two, three, and now I see people putting him in the, in the 11, 12, 13, which is cool, whatever. I mean, that will that, just fire him up more. That'll be, that'll be fine. But watch. If he goes to a situation where people use him well, he's going to be just fine. So lately it's been sort of like a cool thing, like a hipster thing now to move him. 
out of the top 10, 10 to 15, and some people are going to, I'm sure it'll be a cool hit to think soon to move him into the 20s, you know, just to show how, you know, outside the box your thinking is. Cool, do that. But he's going to be just fine. Unless he goes to a situation where people just don't understand what he is as a player. No, I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Any other guys that uh, either you fell more in love with as the year went on or out of love with as the year went on before I jump back to, uh, to D? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one – okay, and this is kind of a sleeper pick right here, but one guy that I fell in love with after watching the uh, Virginia Tech game – or Virginia Tech Old Dominion game was um, O'Shane Ziminis, uh the defensive yeah. lineman. I fell yeah, in love with I fell in love with that too. kid. He, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I just love the way he played. He literally – I mean, I know it was against Virginia Tech, and that's the only really film that I can find on him. But he, oh, oh, he just played – Oh, I've got him against Charlotte. I've watched him. I've watched him. I've, once again, I'm from that part of the country. I grew up in, in Virginia mm-hmm. Beach and off of Virginia. I've talked to his coaches. He's – wherever he goes, they're going to get something really good. He would, if he goes to the Chargers – Oh, sweet Jesus, God, help us all. If you know a situation where they really coach defensive line well and he's in a rotation with guys who have talent, it's going to be awful. I don't know how to put it. Like, if he goes to a situation like that, if it's, say, in the second round, he goes to the Chargers, really, it's going to be terrible. Like, oh, oh, sweet Jesus, no, oh, God, ah. Because he's going to thrive in that situation. Now, if he goes to a bad team and he's surrounded with sort of mixture of talent and the coaching so-so, he'll still be productive. He's one of those guys, he can't be a superstar surrounded by mud. Like, he's not that level of talent. But if you put him in a good situation, mm-hmm. he gets good coaching, <laughs> clutch the pearls. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just something about it. I don't know if it's just his playmaking or just how athletic it is. But I just I, – I immediately, once I watched that game, that was the guy I keyed in on. Like, he just – he really proved to me that, that he was worthy of, uh, of being an early second-round talent he's mm-hmm. just, i don't know there's just something about that I, I just really like him a lot like i, I can't put it well, into words but like it's just i just like him i really do well let, let me help you his hands and feet work together and that's something that a lot of people forget um body control and balance is something that some people have way too low on the, that's why i don't like some of the corners that some people like when i see this guy fall down People, people downgrade defensive offensive linemen for being on the ground. I really downgrade DBs for being on the ground. It's bad if your defensive tackle or defensive end falls down. It's a disaster if your safety or your, or your corner falls down. I, I'm more forgiving of a defensive lineman because there's people around your feet all the time. I can understand falling down there. If you're a safety and you fall down, we probably lost the game. So when I see guys that have really good body control, like they almost fall but they catch themselves, I don't know if you noticed it on tape, he is very difficult to get to the ground. He has his mm-hmm. hands and feet work together well. He has we talk about hips. People don't talk about hips enough with defensive linemen. He's got loose hips. He could probably, you know, he could literally play safety or corner, but I'm kidding. But I mean, he has really good body control. He's a big guy with good body control, good balance, great body control, in fact. Hips, good. Feet, fantastic. Hands and feet work together. So many guys have to be taught that. He either understands it intrinsically, like has it already in him, or he's been coached well. And once again, the ODU staff isn't well-known, but it's a bunch of really good coaches. That's why Blake LaRussa comes in from out of nowhere and puts 455 yards on three attacks. They coach well. 
uh, this is a kid that, you know, was a walk-on at ODU. Like, that, I don't know how to explain this. He's a walk-on at ODU. If you get 455 yards on a, te- on a Division II team and you're a walk-on at ODU, it means you've been well coached. If you have 455 yards on a team that's coached by a literal legend of a defensive coordinator, did Virginia have a bad game? Oh, you bet. Did they lose their quarterback and did it crush their spirits? Oh, yes, 100%. They played down to the cup. All the things that you want your team not to do, they did. But still, with all that being said, all the advantages in terms of talent are still held by Virginia Tech. And Blake LaRussa, a walk-on who's 5'10 and a half, comes out there and carves them up. That's a good staff. In a couple of years, people are going to start rating Old Dominion. Bigger schools are come picking. Just watch. Watch for some of those ACC schools and some of those SEC schools and some of those uh, – maybe even some of the you know, farther away schools, start picking guys off that staff. Old Dominion is building something there. They are right in the Tidewater area. And let me just you know, brag a little bit on my area. It's not Florida. It's not California. It's not Georgia. It's not that. It's not Texas. But if you want per capita, the ability to, to give productive NFL-level talent from an area of less than a million people, the Tidewater area, Aaron Brooks, Lawrence Taylor, I mean, it's a lot with Ruth Smith, Dre Bly. I could go on for a while. Well, Allen Iverson didn't end up playing football, but if he had, he would have been there too. He was a terrific football player. He was the best football player in the state. I saw Allen Iverson play high school football, and he was better than Mike Vick. He was ridiculous how good Allen Iverson was. Now, he wasn't a great passer. He was an okay passer, but his oh, – talk about make people miss. Yikes. Um, he probably would have been moved to DB or wide receiver in college, but he would have been awesome. He would have been an NFL player. Trust me. If you didn't see Iverson play in high school. Um, but, I mean, it's an area that just uh, produces talent, especially for its size. It just produces talent. All those various Fuller brothers, Vincent Fuller, whatever, all the Fuller brothers, um, um, what's his name, uh, Kevin, not Kevin, um, Kyle, oh, how many Fuller brothers there are now? There's a bunch of them. Clay, but all the Fullers. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of kids that, it's a football crazy part of the country. It's not, like I said, it's not South Florida. I'm not saying it is. Not Texas. Not, not Southern California. Not even the Bay Area of California. It's not Seattle, Washington even. But if you look at areas where the population base is 300, 400,000 people, I mean, look at what they're doing compared to that. Don't compare them to places where, you know, where the talent base is coming from millions and millions. Look at a place where the talent base is coming from 300, 400,000 people. The Tower area is as good as it gets, probably with a few exceptions amongst that area. There may be some, like, towns in Texas that probably have about that same size that hang with them, but not many other places. Uh, so, let me, I just wanted to brag a little bit on my part of the country. But there's all that talent there, and they used to all go to Virginia Tech or Virginia, uh, or leave the area, like some kids just, uh, would just go outside the area. But they, they stayed home. It was always, in the old days, Either Virginia, the decision was either Virginia, Virginia Tech. That was like the decision, guys. Some guys like Lawrence Hill would go to Carolina as well, things like that. But it was usually UVA or some other ACC school or Tech. Before Tech was in the ACC, Tech was an independent, and later they were part of the, the what do you call it, the, the Big East, and now, of course, they're part of the ACC. But that was the decision. Now, not for the big, big, big recruits, ODU is not on their radar yet, but ODU, let ODU knock off some more big teams. And they might be sort of like UCF North. I could see them because, of, once again, why is UCF doing what it's doing? Well, one, it's in a great area in terms of football talent. Um, UCF, I don't know how people still manage to sleep on that program. Like, what do they have to do? 
But people are talking about, well, they lost their quarterback. And I'm not down on McKenzie Milton, but McKenzie Milton's not really an NFL guy. His backup, mm-hmm. Dale Matthews from, yes, he's from, he's from Virginia Beach. Yes, he's from my part of the country, too. Uh, sorry, uh, Norfolk, with DeMory. He went to Maury High School, so he's from my part of the country, too. But Daryl Mack, that kid has NFL talent. Now, we'll see what happens. He's just a kid. But next year and maybe even the year after that, he's, he's has a stronger arm than Milton. He's just as fast. He's a really good athlete, but he's much bigger, about six two and a half, about 236 pounds. He's an NFL body. McKinsey Milton's a guy that might have to look at Canada or something. He's fun and talented, but, you know, he's not – really what you want, though he's, he's overcome so many things and hopefully he'll overcome this, this knee injury and, I mean, this leg, I mean, it's a bad injury, obviously, some nerve damage and things like that. But if he comes back, I mean, once again, I don't bet against this kid, but I'm going to talk UCF for just a second. Killens, he's going to find an NFL home somewhere as a, maybe a, as a return guy, if nothing else. Their DBs are better than anybody seems to realize. I don't know why people still, like, don't see, but I know that they are in a quote-unquote power five, whatever, but... They would beat a lot of power five teams at half. And I'm excited to see what happens when they play LSU. And once again, our, our boy Greedy, when they turn into Grabby Williams, uh, I think that they have less big game experience in Mac. Obviously, they have because you know, he's played a lot of big games in big competition. But in terms of real talent, it's actually an upgrade, as much as I hate to say it. Uh, and we all love watching because he's Milton, but Daryl Mack is a talent upgrade. Bigger, stronger kid, just as fast. And he can get yards that McKinsey Milton could never dream to get. Because if it's, you know, fourth and two, and you decide, you know, what the heck, you know, take one step back, fake it in, you know, belly, sort of midline read belly thing, he's got, if he runs into a linebacker, he may run the linebacker over. You're not going to get that from a 184-pound McKinsey Milton. That's, he, that's, he's, he's a tough kid, but he's not – Physics at some point matter. You're not going to plow over a 237-pound linebacker if you're outweighed by, you know, 55 pounds. Uh, so watch for Darrell Mack to have a really good game against LSU. And then my other question is, is Burrow. I mean, people don't think this way, but I think UCF has a quarterback advantage, frankly, over LSU. I know Joe Burrow comes from Ohio State. I know he was a four-star recruit and all that other good stuff. Something about LSU, it's like the – What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Bermuda Triangle of quarterbacks. Quarterbacks go in, but they don't come out. I don't know what it is about LSU, but the last time they had a quarterback who was a really a legit pro prospect, and, you know, I, I was what? Um, a transfer guy in Mettenberger, and he hasn't exactly set the world on fire, but he, he hung around the league for a while. I think he's going to be in the AAF now, and I think he might relaunch himself towards the NFL after that. And then before that, you go back to Jamarcus Russell, you know, not to pick on you, but didn't before that you got to go all the way back to maybe Tommy Hodson, who had a couple of cups of coffee in the NFL. Um, David Woodley before that, who had a, once again a couple of coffee, cup, couple of cups of coffee in the NFL, and then unfortunately the Dolphins drafted a guy named Dan Marino, and that was the end of David Woodley. And then before that you go all the way back to to Burt Jones in the early 1970s. I mean, LSU is out snapped at the quarterback position by some surprising name. So put it that way. If I were to name some of the schools that had more guys take NFL snaps at quarterbacks than LSU, it would shock you. Because here's this big powerhouse program that just can't seem to get the quarterback position right for God knows what reason. But they just haven't managed to do it. Uh, but, I mean, literally, like Southern Miss, 
even, not even close. Like, the Miz is killing them in terms of snaps at quarterback. Of course, they had Brett Favre, but now Nick Mullins is going to bypass most of the LSU quarterbacks in a little while if he plays a little longer. Um, but, yeah, let's go back to LSU for a moment. I'll, I'll bring you back in uh, deep, hop back in. We already talked about, obviously, about Greedy Williams. Give me someone else that maybe we haven't talked to death and who's on the LSU squad. And then if you know somebody on UCF, then pick, pick them out as well. Uh, I mean, he's not – well, this guy's not eligible this year, but Delpit, the safety. Oh, well, yeah, that's I, their best player. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. a huge fan of that guy. Uh, I, I look at him as, you know, similar to, you know, when I look at Deontay Thompson, I see a guy that can just move around the field, cover side on the sideline, does not have a problem coming in the box and putting his face in the, in the fray, coming down into the wash and making plays wherever the coaches need him to be. And I think he'll be a top 15 pick easy next year, as long as he continues oh. the, the stride he has now, continue to play the way he's playing. Um, uh, there's, a deep, there's, a, there's an edge rusher for UCF, but my mind's going blank on him right now. Uh, uh, what's the kid's name? Let me try to look him up real quick. But he's, he's a, it's an edge rusher off of UCF who I actually am impressed with. Uh, UCF's defense is neat. I don't, I'm not really impressed with their defense most of the year. Uh, they've been in some shootouts with teams they should not have been in shootouts with. But right. when, I look, <laughs> when I look at, uh, yeah, uh, Memphis consistently and I think Temple. Well, my, this is scoring a lot of people, though. This is a score. This is a lot of people. That, that may not be a critical big-time program, but they've got speed. If Memphis played Iowa, they would put 20-something, 30 points on Iowa. They would put 30 points on USC. That is an explosive offense. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I'm just i not a big fan of UCF defense. But like I said, oh, I mean, no, do have I'm not players. disputing that. I'm saying Memphis was scoring a lot of people. You, I'm yeah, saying, no, yeah, I'm agreeing with the guys that you guys couldn't have been in, but I'm saying Memphis is not a good example because they've scored a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, they, I mean, they definitely have speed, uh, all, you know, all over the field. And the plus, I love their running back, uh, Daryl uh, Henderson. I'm a huge fan of his. Um, He's going to have an explosive testing at the combine. He might be the best oh, tested running yeah. back at the combine. He's going to yeah, He's going to destroy the combine. I'm looking at the young man's name now for UCF. Uh, he comes off the – normally I see him come off the uh, defensive right side. I believe he plays – the outside linebacker, defensive end, but he's a guy that I look at, you know, with his ability to rush the passer. Um, he plays with some functional strength. I like his strength as well. Just trying to find his name. Because uh, I think he could be a sleeper, you know, especially the class this year and comes out. He could be a sleeper um, late in the rounds. Somebody, you know, because regardless, some scouts are going to we, – we all know it. They're going to ignore – UCS roster a little bit. I think you might. I think you mean Titus Davis. Is that you're talking about? I think that's him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's a he's a he's a true senior. So you know he's 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 definitely coming out. Yeah, he's definitely coming out. I like his game. I think he actually graduated mid year, so I think he actually has his degree. I think he got it this December. That's that's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah I like his game, and I, I really want to see him play against LSU. You know, uh, against that, that defensive front and how they're able to play. I like their um, 
one of the DBs, Richie Grant, he makes a lot of, you know, he, he I think he has over 100 tackles, you know, six and seven. He, they, have some, they have some players. I do like their running back, too, Greg McCray. I'm a fan of his as well. Uh, they, this team has a ton of speed, man, a ton yeah. of speed. Like, everywhere yeah. they have speed on their team. Yes. yes. I'm a fan of Kyle that's, that's, I, I A friend of mine put me on him while he was still in high school. I have a friend who covers uh, high school football in Tampa, and he put me on He put me on Nelson Aguilar when Nelson Aguilar was like 16 years old, and he put me on Kyle Gibson. Um, and I think Kyle Gibson's going to be a good pro too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like his game as well. Um, it, it's, this team has some – they have some prospects, man. You know, they have prospects that – people may overlook just because, like you said, you talk about the competition they face and so much other things, but they have guys that can play and, and be contributors on the NFL level. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Um, and the fun, the fun thing, or amongst the fun things about, about Gibson, he was a guy that played both ways in high school. He's played both ways a little bit in college. Uh, he has really good instincts. Uh, he was on both the Nagurski and the Jim Thorpe watch list. Uh, he was third on the team in tackles, despite the fact that he plays, you know, well, he plays all over the place. Um, he covers the slots. He can play. He can play either safety or corner. He reminds me. It's a lot of guys I can sort of think of when I think of him. But when I think of some of the guys that I've sort of seen have a certain amount of, of, of NFL success who are sort of, you know, Twitter used to be a bad thing, but now because you have to play so many DBs, I mean, let's face it, you may call someone a nickel, but there are, I mean, they may not announce them if you're on Monday Night Football as a starter, but your nickel is a starter nowadays. Your nickel is a starter. Like there's, <laughs> that's, you could call it what you want, but that's a starter. Your nickel plays. Yeah. 60, 66, 67% of the snap. And against some teams, more. Uh, but even against a team that's quote-unquote run-heavy, they're going to play, you know, probably 60, 55, 60% of the snap because you, you have to nowadays. You, you can't afford to, to have that many linebackers on the field unless you just want to see some bad, bad things happen. But he's probably going to be a safety mostly. But the advantage of, of having a master safety, especially if you're playing in a lot of big nickel situations, He's more than comfortable coming down and covering the slot, which is so much harder than people realize, um, especially when teams move their best receiver into the slot. I mean, that's usually a bad thing when that happens. You know, <laughs> that's, yeah. when, oh, my God, Julio Jones is in the slot. Something bad's going to happen. But he's the guy that I mean, you, would want, you, you don't want that matchup, but I'd be less nervous about Kyle Gibson than a lot of guys. Who, who they had to drop down and, and cover a guy like Julio Jones in the slot. He has good ball skills. He's a tough guy. Um, good blitzer. Uh, had four interceptions last year. Uh, not quite as many this year, but I think because teams are a little smarter about trying to stay the heck away from him. But still had 83 tackles. Uh, you know, uh, broke up. I mean, had two forced fumbles, right? I mean... You don't see too many guys that play that far away from the last scrimmage who, who have that many um, that many forced fumbles. He's a really good tackler, which 
I know people sometimes don't care about DBs and tackling, but I don't know why you don't. Because uh, the difference between, once again, that 8-yard play and that 80-yard play is if your DBs can tackle. You can take the wide receiver screen pretty much out of a team's playbook if your DBs are really tough, physical, and can tackle. Because it's a, it's a losing proposition against great tackling DBs. It's a winning proposition against DBs that make business decisions. You know, that's one of the things that when people were getting all excited about Justin Gilbert, the reason I could never buy into Justin Gilbert, I thought Iowa State, Iowa State, this is where I say it was good, victimized him in Oklahoma State, I mean, victimized him multiple times because he didn't like getting involved in anything where he got touched, basically. So watching the screens at his side made lots of yards because he didn't want to fight through. And I was like, okay, I don't care what he does. And he also was kind of stiff. He was tall and could run, but he was stiff. So those are two bad things. Stiff and finesse? Finesse and stiff are two things I don't want together ever. Stiff finesse corner? I was out on Justin Gilbert. I didn't. I had like a late third round grade. People thought I was nuts. It's like, uh, see. But um, he, the, Cal Gibson. Oh, he'll run right through. Uh, I saw him run through guys. I mean, big guys. Guys. He's probably 186 pounds. I saw him come right through people's chest. So I love that. I love toughness. Uh, and I can't remember if he's. Yeah, no, he's he is a retro senior. Yeah, so he's out. He's 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 a. Yeah, I thought so. So yeah, he'll be in this draft. I I think people have him too low. I would urge people who haven't watched Cal Gibson, number 25, on UCF, go back and watch more. Go back and watch more. He's going to end up being, I think, one of the top seven or eight safety prospects in this class when it's all said and done. You know, maybe, obviously, you know, there's no Delpits in this class. So that's a guy. <laughs> oh, I mean, Delpit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, he's, he's the best defensive back corner and safety, I've seen all year. He, he's the best defensive back, period, I've seen all year. Uh, it's not even terribly close, for me at least. I, I love him. I think he's – you talk about how you try to watch one guy, you keep – like I would try to watch Greedy Williams, and I would keep finding, oh, man, I'm watching Delpit again. Oh, I'm sorry. You know. uh, <laughs> it kept happening. Because it's, it's so good safety play, and I'm not going to go on my mini rant about safety play, but – I was when I first started watching football, it was a golden age of safety. Every team in the NFL had good safeties, and several teams had two good safeties. And there were Hall of Fame safeties to be found on every good defense in the NFL. The Cowboys had two good safeties. Neither of them was in the Hall of Fame, but both of them could. Jake Scott uh, is not in the Hall of Fame, but if he played now, he'd be in the Hall of Fame because the, the level of safety play has dropped off so much from when Jake Scott was playing. Uh, because Donnie Shell, if Donnie Shell was playing nowadays, he'd be slam dunk Hall of Famer. Uh, it's brutal, brutal hit. Of course, you, you have to learn to hit differently because, you know, you can't hit like that anymore. But he used to knock people completely unconscious uh, on a regular basis. And he had 50 career interceptions, which meant he could do both. He could come down and blow you up in the, in the run game and, and, of course, obviously in coming over the middle as well in the passing game, but also had great instincts in terms of going on and getting the ball. Jack Tatum, Jack Tatum wasn't really great as a ball hawk kind of guy, but, oh, sweet Jesus, I mean... He would be, uh, there would literally, he would go to jail probably nowadays because the things he did to people, he literally almost killed a man a couple of times. He hit one guy one time, a kid named Dale Hackbard, who played for the uh, Denver Broncos, and knocked his tongue down the back of his throat. They had to bust out his teeth to keep him from dying from choking death on his own tongue. He gave Lynn Swan a concussion so bad uh, in a playoff game that he almost retired. He had his, his brain, his, the, like, the deep part of his brain, continued to bleed for months afterwards, and he almost retired. Um, almost ended Lin Swan's career two years in. 
So this one entered the league in 74. He almost exited in 76 because of a hit that Jack Tatum put on him that was still one of the worst-looking hits I've ever seen. He almost, literally almost, almost ended his career and, and would have affected his life. He paralyzed Daryl Stingley from the neck down with a vicious, brutal hit on Monday Night Football against the, against the, um, the next year, 70, either 77 or 78, against the, the New England Patriots. Oh, and that hit didn't look as bad. It was just sort of like Stingley and he sort of hit met at a bad angle. It was a hard hit because he didn't know any other kind of hit, but it wasn't as bad as the Dale Hart Hackbart hit or the uh, hit on Swan. But, yeah, he couldn't play nowadays because people would put him in jail. But Larry Wilson was a Hall of Famer playing with the Cardinals. Uh, Kenny Houston. Kenny Houston was the first Sean Taylor, once again, before your guys time, I guess. But if you just want to look up one of the greatest safeties ever to strap it on, uh, Kenny Houston, who played both of the Oilers in Washington, six foot three, 216, 17 pounds, and could run like uh, a scalded dog. But yeah, sorry, I keep doing that. Um, but I miss great safety players. <laughs> like I was born in the midst of a golden age of safeties, and now oof, it's so hard to find good safeties. I mean, we're hoping for guys like Eric Berry to come back so we can have Hall of Fame level safeties again. Because they're all, how many guys who are playing safety? Eric Whittle, Man. Eric Berry, uh, Eric, Eric Berry, Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas, if he can come back. I mean, Earl yeah, Thomas is a yeah. portal, but he, he needs to come back for another year or two. But, I mean, it's hard to name guys who might get in the Hall of Fame. Might. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Eric Weddle has, a, I'd say, above 50-50 shot. I'd say it's, if Barry can come back, he's probably right around 50-50. I think Earl's right around 50-50. But there's no slam dunk Hall of Famer at safety anywhere in football right now. When I was growing up, Half the teams in the league had guys that had a shot at the Hall of Fame. And I'm not even joking about that. And it's so different now. It's so hard to find good safeties. And so now, with it being a space game more than ever, right? I mean, four yeah. and five wide is the norm for some teams in certain situations. It's supposed, it used to be you saw five wide never when I was coming up. And four wide meant Hail Mary situation in the game. That's what four wide used to be, you know? And now it's oh, so different. So. Um, I'm going to swing back and I'm going to ask you guys for a couple of more guys that are probably going to go after the third round, but you think are going to have, they're going to really outperform. So I have a whole team I call the underappreciated team that deals with guys like Brent Stockdale and Marcus McMarion at quarterback and um, Easton Stick has a shot uh, from NDSU. I mean, you'll whine about the quarterback class, but then there's quarterbacks that people just aren't watching that are better than the guys mm-hmm. that people are watching. If you're yeah. spending all your time watching Brian Lewerke, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, there's other quarterbacks. Don't do that to yourself. Why are you watching Nathan Stanley? Dude, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> there's other quarterbacks. Like, I don't, just because they're at a big school doesn't mean they're good. I don't know how else to tell people this. Like, there's better quarterbacks at other schools. Don't, don't make yourself watch those guys. And watch out this name. You haven't already started watching him. For next year, Jordan Love at Utah State, that kid oh. is going to be a problem. Once again, big, strong, fast, big arm, accurate. Jordan Love, when he has another year under his belt, trouble, nothing but trouble next year. If you don't watch Utah State, and you should because they're a good program, but if you don't, put, make yourself watch two Utah State games next year and, we'll, and talk to me. You'll thank me later. Because uh, that's a good program <laughs> all the way around. It is. That's a solid program all the way around. Um, so good that they can't keep coaches. You know what I mean? <laughs> Their coaches keep getting snapped up by the program. 
that, hey, that's what I look for, right? If you're Arkansas State, if you're Utah State, if you're um, UCF, right? If you're, those programs are launching pads. Matt Campbell now at, at, at Iowa State. You know how good that program is because they keep coming for their coach. Like, that's how you know it's a good program. They might be a name brand program, but the programs where you keep losing your coach every few years, those are good programs. Those are good programs. If you have to get a new coach every year, it's not because you're firing him, but because some Power 5 conference is like, ooh, this guy's better than the guy we've got. Let's fire our guy. That tells you something, that these guys keep getting scooped up. So Utah State's going to, of course, keep going through coaches to keep playing like this, but they, that's, a, that's a quality program. That is a really good program. Fresno State, first of all, they have Jeff Tedford back, who, of course, was there back in the, the, the first time they had the glory days, back when David Carr was there and back when Dilfer was there. He was the OC and quarterback's coach. And then he went from there to Oregon, where he worked with Akili Smith and Joey Harrington, who weren't great pros, obviously, but were terrific college quarterbacks. And then, of course, he took the job as the head coach at Cal, where he had a little something we like to call Aaron Rodgers. That kind of worked out. Um, the other guys have followed him, like Joseph Ayub and Nathan Longshore, and well, Goff did all right. Well, Goff was recruited originally by Tepper, and then, unfortunately, you know, didn't get a chance to work with him. I think Goff would have been much further along if he had a chance to be coached by Tepper because Tepper really understands, one, he obviously understands the pro game, but also because he understands the details of footwork and, you know, where to take your, where to start your read, where to end your read, and things like that. Is very different from, and obviously the, the bear raid, as they call it, at Cal, where you're not reading the whole field, and you don't have to. There's somebody open already, right? You just have to decide which one you want. Somebody's going to be open. Uh, it's a little different, obviously, in, in Tedford's office. And though he's, you know, he's the office he runs now is no longer pure pro style like he used to run when he was playing, when he's coaching under Pat Hill, but there's still some pro-ish elements that help a kid like Marcus McMarion. Uh, who I think people are still completely sleeping on. Marcus McMarion is better than a lot of the quarterbacks. Some people are still clinging to, like, grim death. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of bad quarterbacks that are being propped up for whatever reason in this student draft class. If you're still in love with Jared Stidham, I'm not saying he can't play. I'm saying he's a project. Watch some other dudes, right? Drew Locke, nothing doesn't have talent, but he's more of a project than people realize. And and then this kid, Daniel Jones, he, be very, very careful with Daniel Jones. Are there some tools there? Yes. Are there some stuff that will work with? But if you're going to draft him early and throw him out there, you're going to be so upset. You're going to feel like, I mean, once again, I, I'd like to, I'm not, uh, guys have talent, right? I mean, they, they, they do things. They flash. That's a, that term always scares me. He flashes. Flashing is cool and everything, but in the NFL, consistency is what it's about. So if you grab, grab a guy like Blaine Gabbert because he flashed and he's six foot four and a half and he can run, he has a cannon for an arm, that's cool and everything. But does he really understand what it's going to take to run an NFL offense? And Daniel Jones has at least the advantage of having Cutcliffe, which obviously he didn't have with Gabbert. So he's a little ahead of Gabbert, but he has a lot of the same strengths and a lot of the same weaknesses as Blaine Gabbert. Jones was the, the running quarterback at first, right? Remember when he wasn't the starter? He was sort of like what they used to do with, uh, uh, the belldozer, right, or, or Tim Tebow before he became the starter at Florida, or um, who was that other kid they did that with for a while before he took, oh, or even um, uh, Dak Prescott, right, before he took over from Russell at the Mississippi State. He was the guy that would come in and get those 
couple of hard yards in the you know goal line situation or, or third and two or whatever. And then Daniel Jones took over and became a starter. And I'm not down on Daniel Jones. I just think he's not a first-rounder. In fact, I think outside of the one kid who didn't declare, and we'll see what happens with Haskins, there are no first-round quarterbacks in this class, in my, my opinion. I, I would just I totally agree. Urge caution. I would just urge caution. Not that he doesn't have talent or ability, but if you draft them high, it's going to put you in a situation where you have to play them before they're ready. And that's, that's how you make guys bust. Guys don't bust because they don't have talent. Guys bust because they're in the wrong situation. Well, unless they're guys that don't have talent. I mean, but usually guys who get, don't have talent get drafted that early. Like, you don't often miss that badly on a guy that doesn't have talent. That almost never happens. I mean, David Klingler, I mean, there's a few times when a guy didn't just really have the talent. But usually it's a situational thing. Like, even a kid like Tim Couch, he had talent. He was sort of like the original Sam Bradford like a little even more raw than Sam Bradford, but like he was the original Sam Bradford. Sort of injury prone, has some talent. If you put the right things around him, he could look good, but don't let people touch him because that's when things get bad. One, because he's fragile, and two, because he doesn't handle pressure well. If he's gone to a better situation, but he goes to a, I mean, first of all, the team is an expansion team. And a, I mean, I don't have to say bad because it's an expansion team. It sort of it fills in the bad blank. And then there's nothing around him, really. I mean, it's, just a, it's a terrible situation for a guy who was super raw and didn't deal well with pressure, and now you're going to make him the first pick of an expansion team. Like, that's the exact recipe for disaster. I feel similarly about a lot of these quarterbacks. Yeah, does Drew Locke have talent? Sure. Does Daniel Jones have talent? Sure. Even Jared Stenner, does he have talent? Yes. That's not what I'm saying. If you just, people, toolsy, and I get all that, so blah, blah, blah. But if you draft this guy high, there's pressure to play him early because nobody sits their whole first season anymore, hardly anymore. I mean, that was never, never happens anymore, really. I mean, Mahomes got to sit his whole first season, and then you go back to Carson Palmer. I think it was the last time a first-round quarterback didn't play at all his first year. So that's two times in 20 years, basically, that a first-round quarterback didn't play at all. So the chances are, if you take this guy in the first 15, 16 picks, Unless your starting quarterback is really amazing, I mean, where it's clear he doesn't need to play, but most teams don't draft that early if they really have a strong, let's just say the Giants, right? Take one of these guys like Locke or, 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 or Daniel Jones. If Eli goes out and plays like Eli Manning's likely to play, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm done with um, But let's, let's wrap up. Uh, Jay Dev. Who are some other guys, if you, have, if you have any other guys that you like, maybe more than other people or less than other people, uh, where you're an outlier or you see things differently from most other people? Uh, there's a lot of uh, almost Division two guys or like low-level Power 5 mm-hmm. guys that I like a lot. Uh, one being quarterback, uh, I really like Jordan Tamu from Ole Miss. Uh, yeah. Even though he didn't play in a very – I mean, his offense, they ran 19 plays. Uh, he's not NFL ready. But if you go no. look at his stats when it comes to whenever he's not pressured in the pocket, he can deliver in, into some very tight windows. He's got the arm strength. He definitely, in my opinion, has the mental aspect. So I feel like he's, right. well, how he's different a great from quarterback. Jared. Right. If you're going to take Jared Stidham, why not wait another round or two and get Jared Tiago? And who, there'll be mm-hmm. no pressure to play, really. Mm-hmm. And he's a kid that's waited. I mean, you think about it. He had Shea Patterson there. He had to wait his turn to be the guy. He is no. He's a very patient man for even considering coming in behind the number one quarterback recruit 
and even trying yep. to be the, where he is. So I, I feel like that's just a lot of and, personality. He beat him out. That's not very oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth mentioning that it wasn't like some fluke. He beat out Jordan. He outperformed Jordan. I mean, uh, outperformed, Jordan Gamble outperformed Shea Patterson, who some people are going mm-hmm. to try to talk themselves into as a first-rounder next year. And who knows? Maybe he'll – let me leave it open that he may improve. But the guy I've seen thus far is a guy, once again, I wouldn't take until well into the third round if you're talking about Shea Patterson. Oh, I agree. If I get, mm-hmm. if I get Tiongo in the top of the fifth, I'm winning. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If I can get, get guys like Marcus McMarion in the, in the fourth and fifth or a guy like Tiamo in the fourth or fifth, instead of getting a guy like Stidham in the second half of the first or a guy like some people trying to push Drew Locke in the first half of the first or um, the end of the first with, with Greer. And I think Greer probably could be a high, high-level backup to the guy I see sort of as like a Matt Schaub type who, if he's your starter, he's not going to embarrass himself but you're probably going to start looking for someone better. If he's your backup, however, you've got one of the top backups in, in football. Uh, also, a little bit of Foles to him, right? A similar guy to Nick mm-hmm. Foles. Yep. Uh, who, you may not want him as your starter starter, like forever, ever, but, but if, you, if he has to win five, six games for you because your starter went down and you're making a playoff run, you're going to feel good about sending Will Greer out there. Um, okay, keep going. You have any couple, couple, more, couple more guys before we close it out? Yeah, um, another guy that, that I really like is Anthony Johnson uh, from Buffalo, the wide receiver. Uh, yeah. He's a 6'2", and he's a tank. <laughs> I mean, that's a good way of putting He's got a good catch radius. Uh, I haven't seen – you can't really tell what type of talent he's going up. But he's got the body, and he's got the athleticism. So I feel like if he gets a shot, he can make something happen. One guy that I really, really, really like is Nasir Adderley out of Delaware. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my. Well, he's my number two safety. Sorry. Mm-hmm. He's my number two. I don't, bring him wherever you want. I don't, think there's, I, don't think there's, I don't think there's maybe more than one safety I like more than that. But, yes, go ahead. Yeah, he's a playmaker. He's literally in the right spot mm-hmm. every time. He helps yeah. in the run game. He's flying around and, uh, whenever the ball's thrown. He's great instincts. Uh, he, to me, he just seems like a guy that you obviously take if he's available. Uh, he's, he's a playmaker. He's always in the right spot, always. A hundred percent agree. Um, JMU, James Madison, has some defensive backs that not many people are talking about that are going to play in the NFL for years and years and years. There's a kid named uh, Zero Hedrick who plays in the PSAC at Edinburgh who is a long, strong corner. Um, his nickname, his DB coach nicknamed him Dale Carter II. And, uh, he's not quite Dale Carter, but he's going to play in the NFL. Uh, he may or may not be drafted. He probably should be drafted. But – he may not be drafted because he's, he is Division Two. He is coming for Division Two, but he's a beast. Yep. And oh, yeah. people should watch that kid. Um, that's why I love going to the Shrine game and NFLPA game because I'm not seeing the usual suspects. Well, I'm seeing a lot of guys that I haven't seen that much of. The guys at the Senior Bowl, I've usually seen a lot of them. Um, so that's why I love going to the Shrine and, and the NFLPA because you see guys you may not have seen nearly quite so much. But, yeah, um, I don't understand why people don't like Joe Janine, Joe Deneen more. Or, or, or the kid, Burke Kerwin, and, and uh, this is a, not a great linebacker class. Uh, there's a couple of guys everybody mm-hmm. talks about, and then there's a huge drop-off. But there's guys that I like, like Deneen and Burke Kerwin, that I think are way better than 
some of the guys I hear people pubbing up. But, yeah, take me through a couple more guys that you like, and then we'll close this sucker out. Uh, another guy is uh, Andy Isabella from UMass. The, uh, the guy. finally got mad about Andy Isabella. He's a beast, yes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Hunter Renfro, uh, being another uh, guy, but he, you know the he's going to end up at the Patriots. Sense, right? He's the Patriot, Andy Isabella, yeah. He's right. the Patriots, yeah. He's going to end up at the Patriots. Uh, another uh, two other guys that I like, uh, Division Two. I'll finish out with them, is uh, Colin Saunders from Western Illinois. He reminds me. Actually, that's, that's, that's not Division Two. That's 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 FCS. Oh, it's FCS. That's oh, FCS. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what that's, 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 that's what I first saw Rodney. Um, um, good God, put my brain. Um, Super Bowl champion with the um, with the uh, Patriots. Started to tour with the Chargers. Rodney. Um, oh shoot. Um, and now he works on Sunday Night Football. Oh, my gosh. But he, yeah. I saw him at West Illinois. He got his that he started. But, yeah, West Illinois plays in the Missouri Valley Conference, which is a tough conference. They play a high level of competition. They play, mm-hmm. you know, NDSU. They play uh, Illinois State. They play UNI, which is a Kurt Warner play, Northern, Northern Iowa, which mm-hmm. is a really – they play – it's essentially the, the Big Ten, or at least – almost the SEC, but it's, it's, it's the Big Ten at least in terms of FCS football. And the CAA is sort of like the SEC, I guess, of, of, of FCS football. It's, it's high-level competition. But, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I really like him. He just reminds me of Derek Brown from Auburn. He's just a big mm-hmm. old nose guard that just seems to create a lot of disruption. And then another guy I, I'm high on is uh, John Kaminsky from Charleston. Um, yep. He just he just seems to have a complete package. Uh, he stops the run well. He can get to the quarterback if he needs to. Just seems to be a really intelligent player. Uh, so I'm 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 high on him. I I don't think Colin Saunders or John Kaminsky if, if they do get drafted it'll be pretty late. But I feel like they're they're just guys that people haven't ever heard of or or seen. And I feel like they can do something yeah. in the NFL if they get the chance. Adderley is a guy the the NFL likes. That much I can tell you. NFL scouts, not only know about Adderley, but I really like him. He's, he could go in the top 100 picks. That could happen. He's, he's well-regarded in the NFL circle. Um, some of the other guys you named are guys that might be drafted later, more like the, you know, late day three if they do get drafted, but Adderley's not one of them. Adderley's going to go for Oh, yeah, up. I agree. Um, Ethan Stick is a fairly well-regarded uh, FCS prospect. There's a handful of guys that are going to go. Uh, Derek Roberson. People don't talk about, about, about him either, but I spotted him while I was still, you know, in love with P.J. Hall last year when I was watching Sam Houston State, and I noticed Derek Roberson, and it's like, okay, they've got an edge guy to go with him because I, a lot of what he did last year I sort of attributed to people double-teaming P.J. Hall all the time, but he's still been productive this year with now P.J. Hall to take all the attention, and now he's the guy in the spotlight he's still producing. So if you haven't watched Derek Roberson at uh, Sam Houston State, I would highly recommend checking him out. He's going to be Probably a, a late, mid, probably mid, probably midday three kid to go anywhere from the middle of the fifth, fifth sixth. But once again, if he gets back to the combine, has a great combine, he could really help himself because he, he looks like he might be a pretty damn good athlete. Um, a few other guys. What do you think about? Here's a kid. What do you go ahead. What do you think about T.J. Vasher from Texas Tech, the six-six kid? Do you think if he yeah. fills out his frame that he could be an NFL wide receiver? Because I, 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 I think back would, and forth. Even if he doesn't fill out his frame, he could be an NFL wide receiver. He, luckily, he plays in an era where uh, 
you don't have to be quite as thickened up to survive. You know, Todd Pinkston, you played too soon. Uh, you came along a little later. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he's going to struggle some just because some people will press him. But his length and we'll see how he chest. That, to me, the bigger deal isn't how much he weighs. It's does he have enough foot quickness to get at least in and out of breaks reasonably well. So if he has a really good three-cone, really good short shuttle, and even if he runs four six one, right? Let's say he doesn't have a great 40, but he has a really solid three-cone, really solid short shuttle, somebody will take a shot on mm-hmm. him late day three because, you know, 6'6". Six, six. But mm-hmm. if he turns out he's really well, like he shows a really good short shuttle, really good three-cone, and looks like, you know, he can do a little something besides just be big, you know, there's a chance, especially if he, like, if he tests well, he could go even a little bit earlier than that. I just think that there's be- – there's better tall receivers to be had uh, if you just are into tall receivers, but he is a guy who testing will be really big for him. I'll, I'll put it that way. A bad day at testing, a bad pro day or a bad combine probably means undrafted free agent. A really good one means, you know, once again, he won't make it out of the fifth round, maybe even fights away to the fourth with a, with a great showing. Um, there's a lot of taller receivers in this class. Jamal Custis, mm-hmm. at, who I think is going to test very well. Sean uh, Poindexter at Arizona, I think he's going to test really well. So there's some guys, uh, one of my favorites, and he's at the Senior Bowl, so word's gotten out about it finally, is Alex Wesley, a guy who's going to measure oh, yeah. out at probably mm-hmm. about, he's going to measure out at probably about 6'3 and a half, 203, mm-hmm. 204 pounds, and legitimate track athlete. I mean, a guy who many schools wanted just as a track athlete. State, record, uh, state high school record holder in the 400 meters in the state of Colorado. So that's, that's a northern a Colorado kid, right? Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, okay. I, I've been okay. big on him for, for a while. I've been talking talk about him a little bit last year, last year, and this year I started just bothering everybody about it. <laughs> Have you watched him? Are you watching it? Did you watch him yet? Uh, so I apologize. I was bothered about Alex Wesley. I promise I'll try to calm down about it. But I think I always get excited when one of my, quote, unquote, my guys, you know, one of the guys that I've been trying to get people to watch, people probably start watching and they start liking this. Sometimes it backfires on me, like with Paxton Lynch. Like, no, 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 don't like him that much. Yep. Um, but, mm-hmm. like, oh, he's a project. No, don't take him the first, you know. So I felt, felt weird about that because I, I, the year before that, you know, he got drafted, I was trying to tell people, like, hey, check out this Paxton Lynch kid. Um, junior college kid, made his way to Memphis. He has some. Yeah, something to him, I think, you know. And then, you know, the world kind of discovered him, and then they went a little, a little too far with it. It's like, no, 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 don't take him in the first. He's, he's a project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. sort of weird. Like, oh, I don't necessarily don't like him, but don't like him that much. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, that put me in a weird situation. But I always like when I try to – I try to my thing, I think, I'm not a gift guy, I'm not this guy, I'm not that guy. But I am a, I'm sort of a bird dog. I sort of find a lot of guys before a lot of people find them, and I just sort of, hey, take a look at this guy. Hey, check him out. Like, Jordan Love. Promise you won't be disappointed if you check out Jordan Love. Um, this will be a really good quarterback class. So, uh, obviously this year, but next year and the year after that even. 2021 and 2020, I think, are going to be really strong years. And I'll mm-hmm. be interested to see. Oh, once again, some guys get better, some guys get worse. Uh, yeah. Did you have one or two more guys you wanted to shout out because we're, we're pounding down the home stretch in the last couple of minutes? Is there anybody else you really liked <laughs> yeah. or really disliked that you thought you were going to like? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't mean to throw so much shade at everybody, but uh, uh, one guy that, that I like is Devin Singletary uh, from Florida yeah. Atlantic. Thank you. Uh, yes. 
I, I don't know. Um, he's one of those guys that could get drafted late. Um, but he'll, I, I he'll get drafted late. He'll, he's going to get drafted late. Well, one is he has uh, his coaching staff loves him. I mean, people don't understand how much for guys that are on the bubble of drafted to undrafted. At that point, so the GMs, right, the big names, the, the guys you've heard of, the guys in suits, really run the first part of the draft. Then the very end of the draft, and then the undrafted reads, you kind of hand off to the area scouts. And there's going to be at least one area scout that's going to have fallen in love with this kid, just like with and Thomas at UNLV. There'll be some area scout who's fallen in love with this kid that will talk his team into saying, hey, I mean, it's going to be the same money, basically, to get him as an undrafted free agent. And we'll have to bid against people, which means we have to actually may have paid him up, maybe even a bigger signing bonus. Let's just draft him. Like somebody should have done with Philip Lindsay, quite frankly. Um, yeah, probably should have done that. Probably should have. So, but some team's going to realize they shouldn't just take a chance with if they can get him as an undrafted free agent. Because he has the ability to be part of somebody's two or three back rotation and be productive. Lexington Thomas is a similar story. He's going to be, he, once again, I think he'll be drafted probably in late day three. And... He's going to be one of those guys that will start on a special team. Somebody will get hurt. Then they'll be like, oh, oh, wait, he can play. Some guy who got hurt never gets his job back. Don't get hurt. It's like Thomas it shows up in your camp because he's going to take your job. Yeah, I, I got one more. He, his draft stock has, has definitely soared over the past few weeks, few months. But Josh Oliver, the tight end from San Jose, uh, yep. I'm, I'm really high on him, really high on him. Like he he's got he's a big kid can catch the ball he can block he's he's just your prototypical NFL uh, yep. NFL tight end and I'm I'm just really high on him I feel like he could he could do something as well yeah. well he and the kid at Boston College whose name Tommy something uh, name is escaping a little but I mean they aren't flashy they aren't exciting they aren't sexy they're not no. going to run four six but he's going to be your second tight end your other tight end. You know, the, the one you took in the second round will be your, you know, your, your David Njoku or whatever will be over here. But your other tight end, most teams can upgrade their other tight end. There's, there's not too many teams that have two good tight ends. There's a few that do. There's a few, but most don't. Most teams have one good tight end and one guy they could probably upgrade. Uh, there's a handful of teams that have two legitimate tight ends. He's going to be good enough to be better than Tommy Sweeney. That's his name, sorry. Um, now, those guys are going to probably be better than, the, than, your, than your second tight end. Not better than your first tight end, but they're probably better than your second. Uh, so there's a lot of teams that I think will probably invest. Because think of how many teams would like to go two tight ends in certain situations, but they just can't trust the other tight end, either because he's not able to block at all, or because he's such a liability in the pass game that it's clear your run, when he comes out, it has to be a run play. Nobody has to respect the pass at all because he literally is not able to catch the ball at all. You know, so having two good tight ends gives you that ability to be a threat, right? Now when you see two, two tight ends, it doesn't automatically mean run, which, you know, I mean, hey, I mean, defenses get paid too. You don't want to, you don't want to send them free information about what's about to happen next. So, yeah, let me go. Look, just to mention San Jose State, let me throw one last, and I know I, I keep doing this, but I'll give you one last San Jose State kid. Uh, Dakari Monroe, probably going to be a slot corner, but I wouldn't be surprised if he held up in a, if it's a zone team. He's not super fast, but he's quick, and he has amazing instincts, and he has better hands than some of the wide receivers in this class. He makes some really amazing tipped ball interceptions. 
which I think people don't realize how difficult a tip ball interception is. I played defensive back, people. It's so much harder than you think. Next time you get bored, have one of your friends throw a football and then have your friends dive in front, like flash in front of you and tip it and see how many you catch. The number will be much lower than you think. Let me just say that much. It will be a lower number than you think it would be. He comes up with some really – he made two or three really impressive tip ball interceptions this year and a couple of just playing on, playing on coverage interceptions as well. But uh, he's not super big. He's not super fast. You know, once again, probably 5'10 and 3 quarters, probably about 183 pounds. But great instincts. Catches the ball. Like I said, I mean, his hands are – there are wide receivers that I hear people bragging about. He has better hands than some of them. Great hands. Uh, do you have one more that you want to throw out there? Um, uh, I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm, I played – I was a punter and a kicker in high school, so i got to – Give some love yeah, to the brand. Yeah. Uh, Cole Tracy, Cole, Cole Tracy yeah. from LSU, by far the best kicker yeah. in the game right now. And Braden yeah, Mann from uh, Texas A&M, once he can learn to put a little height, a little hang time on the ball, dude's going to be an all-pro punter. Guarantee it. Put it in the bag. Braden Mann is the next big thing when it comes to punting. He is. I gotcha. Well, first of all, as you said, for the brand, and somewhere out there Pat McAfee is smiling, of uh, punting is, I mean, once again, Michael Dixon is probably the, what, the fifth or sixth most important Seahawk. I mean, once you get oh, beyond, yeah. once you get beyond, yeah, once you get beyond Russell, uh, maybe Carson, uh, you know, their best two wide receivers, KJ and Bobby Wagner, I mean, who else is more important on the team? I mean, it's like, I'm not so sure that there's anybody who's more important to the Seahawks' success beyond that, beyond mm-hmm. those guys. Them. I mean, he's maybe the left tackle, but I mean, it's a, I guess, yeah, but their offensive line hasn't done I mean, Russell, whew, that guy fell up making chicken salad. Uh, Russell Wilson does a lot with not very much people. Uh, he's, he's pretty amazing. But yes, yes, 100% agree. 100% agree mm-hmm. with everything you said. 100% agree. Um, I will throw out – this guy's probably not going to come out. So he probably would be in next year's running back class, but Illinois has a running back named Reggie Corbin who's a junior who's probably going to play a senior year. Um, he's not quite – everyone's fell in love with David Montgomery. Reggie Corbin's not that different. He may be a little smaller, but maybe even slightly quicker. I, once again, I, I hold – you know, I don't, I don't believe program heights. I learned a long time ago that, you know, most guys are either – shorter or lighter or heavier. Program heights are usually just wrong. So we'll see just how big he really is. He might be tiny. Uh, but, but depending on what he actually measures to what they actually get him on the scale and, you know, measure him and everything. But he, a lot of the qualities of people love in David Montgomery, Reggie Corbin has them, and he plays behind an offensive line that is less than exemplary at Illinois, unfortunately, and he still managed to produce. If he played behind a decent offensive line, if he was at Iowa or if he was at Michigan, or if he was at, you know, heck, even here's in Miami, I think one of the things he would do. Uh, speaking of Miami, I'll throw out just another quick name. Uh, we'll see what happens with guys like Travis Homer and some other guys. Miami, as always, has defensive talent, and some of those defensive kids will go higher than you think they should. But I love Quartermain, obviously. I think he's sort of the key to their defense. And I don't know how he'll test, but his instincts make up. If he turns out to be an average athlete, I think his instincts sort of make up for it. If he tests really well, he's a guy I could see climbing. I just I like I like Miami's defense. Miami's offense, obviously, 
they had some injuries. I mean, Jeff Thomas is a guy that showed things and got hurt. Basically, it was, you know, Cager showed things, got hurt. So all the receivers who at some point you liked, if at some point this year got hurt, uh, they had a rash of wide receiver injuries that were just ridiculous at Miami, which is part of why they're, I mean, their quarterbacks were bad, but it didn't help that they, every time they developed chemistry with a wide receiver, he got hurt. I mean, without fail. I don't know what was going on with their receivers in terms of injury this year, but I like a couple of Miami's receivers. They just couldn't stay healthy. So these are guys you'll probably get as undrafted free agents or late, late, late. And then you'll probably need to stash them for a little while because they may still not be 100% healthy at first. But these are the kind of guys you may activate six, seven days, seven days, sorry, six, seven weeks into the season, especially if you have an injury to somebody else. Somebody else has gone IR and you sort of bust the bubble wrap off this kid from practice squad or whatever. And now it's like, oh, wait, oh, right, I forgot. Yeah, he was good. He got hurt. But Lawrence Cager is another guy that was one of those great jump ball kids and, you know, would be mentioned in the same breath as Arciago Whiteside and Hakeem Butler if he just could have put together a whole healthy year, which, of course, for some reason never seemed to happen for him. And obviously that's a concern. When a guy is consistently hurt, you know, it's one thing if a guy gets hurt. When a guy, when a guy can never stay healthy, uh, it has to worry you. I mean, it should worry you if a guy can never stay healthy. Um, so he probably will be in the 2020 draft, but we'll see. Um, he's he's had injuries, like I said. He's he's a redshirt junior currently, so he I don't know. I see if he's actually finished his degree uh, requirements and he's if he's graduating. But he is a redshirt junior, so he has a decision to make. His tape, when healthy, which has been rarely, unfortunately, has been good, but he just hasn't been healthy. So I'll, I'll throw him out there, and then I'll be my last guy. Uh, he's not exactly a sleeper because he's at a really big school, and a lot of people have seen him, but people forgot about him because he just couldn't stay healthy. Would you like to tell people, sir, um, where they can find and follow your work? You know, if you have a Twitter, an IG, a Facebook, or whatever it is, if you have podcasts, any of your content, where can people find it, and how can they get more of what you do? Right now, I'm just on I'm just on Twitter. It's at uh, jdub underscore sports. Um, I'm looking to come out with the podcast pretty soon, uh, but I haven't got all the equipment because all my friends know that I'm doing this, and they want to be on there with me, so I need to get a few more parts so that <laughs> they can do it with me and be a part of the process, which I think is kind of scary. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to get a few more few more uh, products to get before I can do that. But, yeah, right now I'm just on Twitter. So if you want to give me a follow, I tweet out hot takes, all kinds of stuff. So really appreciate your follow. Oh, certainly. Well, we'll, we'll talk off air, but if you would like to join a, a, uh, a collective of people who are fairly dedicated to the scouting process and you're interested in being put to work uh, for no money, you know, so it's the best kind of work, the kind of work you do just because you love mm-hmm. it. Uh, yep. You and I will talk off air if you're at all interested. Cool. But cool. Uh, it has been very much a pleasure, but at least, very least I can get you credentials and stuff like that. Uh, so mm-hmm. first of all, uh, I know Damien let me know that he had to run about uh, 15, 20 minutes ago, but uh, he was great. And please also give him a follow as well. Uh, he does really good work and is a smart guy and an up-and-comer. And then, you know, I thank you. I, obviously, I think your work is good. I, don't, I didn't bring you on here because I don't like you. So uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Always, appreciate that so much. Oh, the pleasure is mine. The pleasure is mine. Uh, we will speak once more. I have your email address, so I'll email you if you if you want to talk to me some more as well. 
I want to thank everyone right. uh, who's, who's followed Feeling a Draft. Uh, ben Albright, who used to be my co-host back in the old, old days, uh, back when we first started out. Uh, Jim Coburn, who is my usual current co-host, who I know is involved in some really important life events that I'll let him go public when he's ready to go public with. And, but it was great having you two guys on, and we'll definitely speak more in the future. I want to thank everybody for their time, their talent, and their attention. We'll do this again in one week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.